It's episode 36 and can't we race at Phillip Island every week? Welcome to Bike Live. Let's go! Yes, this is episode 36 of Bike Live and it's rather fitting as number 36, Joanne Mia, was crowned Moto3 World Champion on another brilliant weekend of MotoGP racing at Phillip Island. Well, welcome to Bike Live here on Motorsport 101 as we look back on everything that took place at the Australian Grand Prix as another 10 out of 10 MotoGP race stole the show and it's not even the most newsworthy event of last weekend. We saw championships decided out in Australia. As I mentioned, Joan Mia, the new world champion. Championships effectively decided in MotoGP and Moto2. They could be wrapped up this very weekend at Sepang. And championships decided at Jerez as the World Super Sport 300 and Superstock 1000 championships were wrapped up and the World Super Sport title was decided, sort of. We'll tell you more about that a little bit later on. And Jonathan Ray cleaning up again another week in the world of World Superbikes. All of that to come over the next hour and a half or so in the company of myself, Lewis Sutterby, and joining me once again, uh, Andre Harrison. I mean, we say this, um, we've said this a few times, Dre, about how stacked this show is. Um, MotoGP and World Superbikes both on the bill this week. This is a loaded show. Yep, and we're under, we're under a time limit, so I'm going to keep this brief. <laughs> Can we race at Phillip Island every week, please? Yes. For My the love of God. God, it's <laughs> the best circuit on the planet for motorcycles. Uh, yes. That's brilliant. Um, yes. Places you can find us. Uh, we're on social media on Facebook, including facebook.com forward slash motorsport101, on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101, uh, if you want to get in touch with us on there. Uh, YouTube.com forward slash motorsport101 as well. Uh, Dre did a Google Hangout um, to accompany the United States Grand Prix on Sunday night. So if you want to go back and watch that, uh, head over to our YouTube channel to do that. Um, our website is motorsport101.net. And if you want to back us financially and earn yourself early access, uh, to both this show and to Motorsport 101, uh, head to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101, where you'll probably already, by the time you listen to this, be able to find episode 109 of Motorsport 101, which is looking back on the United States Grand Prix that took place, uh, as we record this, a couple of days ago. Um, Michael Buffer uh, was the driver of the day, in my opinion, uh, on yes, that one. Yes, he was. Uh, what <laughs> a, what a, anyone, anyone who didn't enjoy that opening to the Grand Prix has a tin chest. Just yeah, they don't. They, they don't like fun. <laughs> yeah, they don't like fun. Uh, right. Um, well, we do like fun on this show. We had a lot of it watching the uh, three Grand Prix out in Australia, and we're going to start um, with Moto Three. You thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? Um, but we're going to start Moto Three Swap. because we're going to we're going to give him his due because a champion was crowned uh, last weekend. Uh, the Moto Three World Championship was decided in favour of Joan Mir. Um, who fluffed his lines with his first championship point at Mategi um, a week ago in the wet conditions where he just never really seemed to be comfortable at any stage. Um, Dre, but the, the real Joan Mir returned uh, for Phillip Island and rather fitting that the, the man who's dominated this Moto3 championship all season clinched the title with a ninth, a record ninth Moto3 win of the season. <laughs> In the words of the king, he was not dead. He was just taking a break. Um, yeah, Joe Amir back with a vengeance in Phillip Island. And it, it's it's been like the highlight round for establishing dominance. I mean, we saw Brad Binder do this last year where Binder wrapped it up uh, in Phillip Island in style. And uh, Mir has done the same thing. I mean, nine wins out of, 15, out of 16 races this season is phenomenal by any measure in a class. that's still two to go. There's still two to go. And, and you know, he's not the strongest wet river racer in the world either. So we've had a couple of wet races, you know, stick fawns in the side of this, and yet he's won nine out of 16. That is 
unbelievable that he's going to... Whatever happens, he'd have won half the races this season. That is utterly phenomenal. And, yeah, no one has had an answer for him in the dry all year long. I mean, every single dry race he's finished in the top 10 or better, and he's won nine out of the 14 dry races we've had this year. That's unbelievable consistency. Um, just, he just He just has shown all year he's got another gear when he needs it. Something that... I don't think anybody else in Moto3 has consistently been able to show. And that's what's made him so good this season. And, I mean, he was good last year. He was, he, he's, he's been utterly incredible this year. And, my word, um, we could be looking at someone very special here because uh, that, that, that isn't a season unlike anything we've seen in the lightweight class. It's probably Mark Marquez. And that's saying something. <laughs> and uh, we're going to look through his season and how he won this championship. But he's looking at his various wins through the year they've not all been identical types of wins have they and he's oh. he seems to have a different he seems to have a different answer whatever the tactical challenge that faces him in a motor three race he has an answer and in the shape of philip island um he he proved as he probably set the template for the motor gp race that followed in that if you want to win this race you've got to be just up the front you can't allow yourself even if there's a big group you can't allow yourself to get sucked back into the group and drop right. off the leader you've got to stay up the front and Joan Mir would always do that. And watching that race, um, even with such a big group of about seven or eight riders up the front, you kind of always got the feeling that, you know, Joan Mir is the favourite here um, because he always mm. seems to have that answer. And again, just to show the mental capacity and just the, the, the brain on the kid. And I might be giving him too much credit, but I genuinely think this was what was in his mind. That as soon as the rain started to fall, Joan Mir was the one that recognised, I've got to be leaning over the finish line in case they red flagged this. And lo and behold, yes. when the red flags came out, Guess who was leading? Yep, Joanne Mir by a good four temps, which just kind of says it all, really. He knew exactly where he needed to be in the right time. Reminds me a lot of Miguel Oliveira, and we'll be talking about him in a minute, um, given his uh, given his Moto2 result. But uh, it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, like he, he's got a rider's brain. And I remember Miguel being like that in his fantastic end of Moto3 run, uh, when he when he was at Red Bull KTM, where he was almost always in the right place at the right time, he knew in those dry races that hey, I don't want to be leading over the line. I'd, I'd rather chase somebody on the final lap and then put a move on them where I know they can't counter. Joanne Mir was incredibly intelligent in spotting. Yeah, the rain's coming down. They're gonna red flag this because obviously you can't do flag to flag in Moto Three and Moto Two. So get to the front. And obviously, if the countback rule comes into play, Mir will benefit, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah, and it was it was kind of funny when they flagged it as well, because basically the riders made the decision for them. They basically all sat up and said, "Yeah, we've had enough of this. <laughs> you better yeah. you better flag this because we're stopping." Because um, <laughs> Joe Mir just basically pulled off at turn one and said, "Yeah, I've had enough of this." Um, yeah, and uh, lo and behold, once the red flags came out and um, countback took over, he was the world champion um, with his ninth win of the year, and. If you go back right to the start of the season, Dre, I mean, I, I can't remember in the season previews that we discussed Joan Mir too much. Um, no, we didn't. Purely by dint of the fact that the class was just so wide open uh, right. heading into the season. We didn't really have an outright favourite going into the season. I think two of us, two of the three of us that regularly host this show picked Bulliger, and I think one of us picked Bastianini too. Um, that was me. <laughs> so, um, so the boy, at least Bastianini's sixth in the points. Bulliger's down in 11th at the moment, but we're, we didn't bargain for the... Uh, OP Honda uh, of 2017. Yeah. If, if I'm coming out with the most accurate prediction, it says a lot about the state of you two, quite yeah, frankly. Does, uh, yeah, we had we had it was a nightmare. Say, so, yeah, Bulliger's not at a podium all year. Um, but um, oh. but um, 
That probably says more about him than uh, myself and Bex. Um, True. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. Joan Mia, right from the start of the season, just flat out took control, uh, didn't he? With his victories in Qatar and Argentina to start the season, beating jo- John McPhee in both those races in, in last lap battles. Um, and they were there were two races, Dre, where... Again, we had the the usual pack mentality in uh, in Moto Three, or so it seemed more recently on SmackDown Live. Um, yeah. But uh, but but Joan Mir just a, just it seems as if he had that extra gear on the final lap, and the Argentina race win sticks in my mind. Where whenever John McPhee would head up to a quote unquote overtaking spot, Joan Mir just had that level of confidence on the brakes that John McPhee just didn't have an answer to. Exactly. And I remember in, in, in Qatar in the opening round, despite, you know, having 14 or 15 bikes in that leading group, the guy that was almost always at the front throughout the entire time was Joanne Mir. It's like he, he, he made sure he was, he was the first wheel over the line, the one that counts. And often he, he'd be the guy that was in control and almost always at the front. And that's that is how Joanne Mir won his races. He was, always, again, another guy that's in the right place at the right time, and he likes to dictate the pace. He likes to control. And that's been the story of Mir's season more than anything else. And it, those two races, without question, set the turn. I do remember Argentina. McPhee was looking very dangerous all race long, and yet Mir had an answer for him at every move. It was ridiculous. And, again, it, again, I mean, that's the, the theme with Mir. It's control, and that's how he's... That's how he did the damage this year. Yeah, it's almost like we were watching John McPhee following him in second thinking, well, go on, John, have a go. And then it was like, ah, Joan Mir's playing with him here. <laughs> Joan Mir's just got this under control uh, in the race. He had a relatively poor race by his standards in the circuit of the Americas. He finished eighth as uh, Romano Fanati uh, did a number on Aaron Canet to win there. Um, Canet went on to take his first win at Jerez as Joan Mir took third um, before bouncing back in style at Le Mans. And a, and a real key moment of the season, Dre. Um, because... As good a season as they both had, Romano Fanati and Aaron Canet have both struggled to put a consistent title challenge together. Um, it has to be said. Canet, of course, crashing out when he had the race win effectively in his pocket if he just stayed upright and held his nerve in America. And then Romano Fanati in Le Mans, who was the only real legitimate challenger to Mir there. And just as Mir began to up the ante, Fanati couldn't handle the pace and fell off. Of course, like the 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 the, the euphemism for Romano Fanati's Moto Three career, right there. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's one of those things where once Mir up the ca- pace for night, wasn't able to catch. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the, like it it, it kind of makes me head scratch that Canet sticking around for another year because he's clearly ready for for a step up. And like Canet has had moments of brilliance this year. I mean, Bruno, classic example, like getting the first win at Jerez. Um, obviously winning at Silverstone as well. Like Canet has had some outstanding moments, and Fanati we still know is as good as anyone in the class on his day, and is a mile better than everybody else in the wet. And they like they have great they have great individual highlights, but they've never been able to put a full season together, and that's been that's been their biggest problems going forward. If Canet has a bad day, he's finishing in out, out of the top three or four. If Fanati has a bad day, we're all going to know about it. Um, unfortunately. But you're right, they've not been able to put a consistent consistent season together, and that's probably what's held them back this year. Um, and that's what's probably made them both leak points to, to Mir on a regular basis, because Mir just has the, the level of upside where he can win almost any given race on paper, something that we can't really say about Fanati and Canet yet. No, no, I'm just looking through Canet's um, results, actually, and he's, he's had the three DNFs um, through the season, but he's also, to add to that, he's finished fifth five times, I make it. 
um, yep. this season, um, which is which is a hell of a lot given that um, Juan Mi, I think he's only been uh, anything other than on the win five times this year. Yeah. Um, so um, he's yeah. There's there in therein lies the difference. And Mia really tightened the screw mid-season with a, a run of races where he won four out of five. Um, from mm-hmm. Catalonia uh, over to Austria as uh, Romano Fernati proceeded to finish second four times out of five um, of in, in that run. Um, but I think this, the victory that really I, I impressed me out of those four, Dre, was the first of those four. The win in Catalonia where John Mir just produced, again, another sensational last lap where he just flout ambushed Jorge Martin with about three corners to go. Yeah, he gave him the gotcha down, down, down the top of the hill, to, down towards the final chicane. I was like, "Whoa! Like you, you, you don't, you don't pass there normally." That was, oh, it, it was, it was, it was a rush. It, it, it was, it was an ambush. Like you said, you, you described it perfectly. Um, Martin looked like, like he was finally going to get his first win, and then Mir was like, "Nope," <laughs> down the inside with three corners to go, and it, I go. Like there's there's like with moto free bikes, the emphasis is placed on the brakes and whatnot. But that is such a slow corner, and there's no real run up before. You've got to really dive bomb the crack out of somebody to really make that move stick. And that's exactly what Mir did. It was a genius pass, and the timing of it was so beautiful. The fact that you can't counter because there's no there's no other passing spot on the track after that one. So yeah, like Mir timed it absolutely on the nose and it was brilliantly done. And again, that might have been the most impressive of all his nine wins of the year because like he be pulled off a move that I'd legitimately never seen before to win that race. And and then he stopped a very, very fast Jorge Martin, who's been incredibly quick all season long, pretty much. Yeah, uh, I think that was the weekend where we all just universally felt sorry for Martin, who was still chasing that first win and still is chasing that first win as we speak. Um, but it will sort of surely come next year if it doesn't come in the two races that remain of uh, this year. Um, John Mir proved in Austria that he can't just win in pack races because he flat out just dropped them and left them for dead there. Um, we decided that he was going to have a race all of himself and leave them all to fight for second um, in that Grand Prix. Um, and when you look back through his results, the, it's, the only aberrations really have been America, where he was eighth, where he just didn't seem to have the pace on that day that Canet and Fanati had. Magello, where he was seventh, but to his in his defence, he was probably only about half a second off the win there, given how big the fight was at the front. There were 22 bikes going together over the line in that one, and uh, John Mir was the seventh of them. Uh, Assen, yes. where, Assen, where he kind of got um, beaten up on the final lap, which was very rare for John Mir for that to happen. Silverstone that was called a lap from the finish, so he could have won there had we had the last lap. He was fifth over the line to start the final, the final lap. Um, and Japan, where he just seemed mm-hmm. to get spooked in the wet. Um, and it, in terms of next year, because he, he goes to Moto2 next year with the best team in the class, um, Australia Galicia might be the yes. Um, now, it might be asking a bit too much for John Mir to go out and flat out win the title. Because no one has ever done that. Take away the very first Moto2 season in 2010. No rookie has ever won the championship. Not even right. Mark Marquez um, won the title in his rookie year. Not even Maverick Vinales won his championship. He didn't win the championship at all in Moto2 because uh, he only had the one year finished third. So it might be asking a bit too much of John Mir to go out there Dre, and do that straight away. But being honest, is there any reason, given the quality of the rider and the team he's in, that John Mir can't just go into Moto2 and be up the front straight away? There's no reason why he can't win races immediately out of the box. It, it, it would not surprise me because, like again, Mark VDS are the dominant unit in Moto Two right now. I mean, like they, they, they I think they've pretty much matched their own record of most team wins in a season. I think they had ten in 2014 with um, Mia, Rabat and, Mia and Marquez. Is a despicably good team. 
Oh, it's, it's disgusting. Like, we, we forget Alex Marquez has won, what, I think two or three times this year already, despite Frankie Morbidelli's dominance. Um, and Mir, they've got one of the strongest-looking lightweights we've ever seen come out of that class. And if Mir can adapt to the Moto2 bike quickly, he, he's going to be dangerous right at, right off the box. Like, all I'm saying is this, this could be a make-or-break year for Alex Marquez next year, purely from pressure from his own opposite side of the garage because Morbidelli's laid waste to him this year and Mir's going to be coming up now and if if Mir beats him too it's not going to be a good look for Alex at all um but like it by any measure that is a very strong team and Marquez seems to be getting better by the year he's he's slowly ironing out the kinks in his game he's a bit a bit of a slow learner Alex but he's you can see he's started to put it together now and again Mir He's joining Mark VDS. They've won 10 times this year. They're still two rounds ago. They'll probably beat their own record for most team victories, um, which is amazing given that Luti's still a contender. But here we are. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a formidable team next year. You've got two stud talents, both under the age of 22, and they're, and they're both out there. And, and they're, they're going to be up the front right away, especially if Mir can adapt quickly. Um, Mark VDS know how to get the best out of their talent. They have done for years. And, I mean, and they look- showed with Marquez as well, didn't they? Because Marquez went straight into that team as a rookie, and they've given him time. They've been patient with him. Um, yes. Alex Marquez. So you've got to think they're going to be the same with Joan Mir, that they're going to give him every chance to, to learn Moto2 and not Absolutely. put too much pressure on him too 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 quickly. But yeah, I think he'll be up there straight away. And he's just, he'll take heart from the guys like Banyaya from Binder um, this season who've, who have been on the pace straight away. Binder, even with his injury, is, he's, he's now had a podium, as we'll tell you about in, in, in a moment. And Banyaya's had a number of second places as well this year. <laughs> Um, and they, you could argue, um, well, certainly in Banyai's case, he wasn't the Moto3 rider that, that Mir is. Um, Binder, very, very similar in the way he dominated his Moto3 championship. So John Mir has got every every inspiration he needs, just looking at the Moto2 rookies of this season, to, to believe Absolutely. he can do the same. Um, and when we get to the intermediate class later on, it's looking so exciting for next season um, with, oh, the, yeah. uh, with the different riders and bikes that are looking competitive in that class now, um, which we'll get to later. Um, as far as the Moto3 as we had last weekend, though, Dre, um, uh, an unusual result in that it was a Leopard 1-2 um, in, in the Grand Prix. I think they had one in 2015 from memory um, with Danny Kent and, and Hiroki Ono. Um, but... In terms, yes, of, in, terms of, in terms of this result, obviously the, the rain-shortened result kind of played into their hands a bit, but I need to give Livio Loy some credit here. He came back from 21st on the grid to second. Yeah, hang on. I'm, I'm, I'm flipping my button up here, my, my fighter pilot button, where it says, Livio Loy breakout performance. Yeah. Hit the klaxon. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Livio Loy is good for one of these almost mm. every year. It's like, oh, 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 there's Livio Loy again, the 12-year-old on a bike. Um, yeah. yeah, just after he's lost his job. <laughs> of course, of course. It's, it's the Livio Loy way. Uh, the team like, have signed Lorenzo Della Porta to replace him next year. <laughs> it's, it's like, Livio Loy lost, loses his job. So, of course, he finishes second in the race afterwards. Yeah. That's awkward. Um, but, yeah, like, it, it's... It, I don't know how Livio just has this knack of just breaking out great performances when you least expect it. And yeah, from 21st on the grid to finish in second, like Livio Loy frustrates the crap out of me because it's like the talent is there. Again, he's had moments of absolutely outstanding talent, but he's never able to put this together for a whole season. No. And like, there's, there's either like a stream, there's a lack of pace something but 
it's it says a lot. I mean, you look at Lloyd's results for the season. Yeah. The start of the year, he went five races of that getting in the points on merit. And then after that, a seventh, a fourth, a sixth, and now a second in his last eight races. Like, Lloyd's up there with the, with the elites in the class again all of a sudden. Yeah, it's he like, he's either great or trash, isn't he? There's no middle ground on Lloyd. There is none. Is, he is an all-or-nothing rider, and sadly, he comes up nothing more than all, unfortunately. But an outstanding um, ride from Livio Lloyd by any measure. And um, someone employ him, maybe? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, because um, he was noticeable last Sunday during that mammoth delay when uh, Andrea Migno dumped oil all over the place at Mategi, uh, where Dylan Gray, the wealthy commentator, went to interview Lloyd. Um, and ask him if he had any plans for next season. And he essentially um, gave said a lot of words, but he only needed to say one, which was no. Um, but he, um, he he essentially said that the news that Dallaporta was taking his spot alongside an Air Bastianini at Leopard next year was as a surprise to him as it was to us, because um, he thought he'd had mm-hmm. a sort of in principle agreement to stay with the team next year. And then the next thing he knows, um, Dallaporta's been announced as his uh, replacement for next year. Um, so yeah, Livio Loy was a bit surprised as well. So um, yeah, he's obviously uh, raising his game because um, the uh, fear of unemployment has uh, has struck him pretty hard uh, in the last week or so. And um, a shout out to Livio Loy for an outstanding result um, last time out. Um, also, shout out to Jorge Martin, who took yet another pole position. Um, I believe that's his ninth <laughs> pole um, of, 28, of 2017. Um, yeah, that guy can qualify. Um, and he's, he's proving, once again, Dre, that he can race as well. Another podium for Jorge Martin, who... Um, surely that wins right around the corner, right? You'd think this is the sixth time he's finished in third this season. Yeah. Six! Six third places. He must be getting really tired of getting all those small trophies in the back of his trophy cabin at home. So I want the big one. Um, but um, yeah, it's one of those things where, yeah, Martin is 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 is, is doing an incredible job right now for, um, um, on that team. And again, he, he, the win is coming. It has to be coming soon. It's like he he's up there. He's up here far too often for this not to happen in the end. The guy's an, an exceptional talent. He's, this has been a fantastic breakout year for. Jorge Martini. He's a guy that, you know, was in the midfield a lot of the time the last two years. He was struggling off, off, off the Red Bull Rookies Cup success. And it's taken him time to find his feet in the class. But now he's up there with the very best of them. And I think he could very well be one to watch next season alongside maybe Canet as one that could maybe challenge for the title with a full season underneath him. Um, missing two rounds has hurt him quite badly this year. But um, by any measure, he's, he's he's up there with the very best. He's, he's consistently up there now. Yeah. And uh, I hope to get a step forward next year yeah and uh yeah it was another brilliantly judged pole position as well where he took pole position just before the rain came um in qualifying and uh yeah everyone went out right at the end of qualifying to try and just basically see what conditions were like and Jorge Martin just sat in the garage thinking nope not doing nope yeah I want none of this no no one's beating that um so he just stuck around in in the pits um there were standout performances for Gabby Rodrigo who uh, qualified up the front and finished up the front in fourth um, as well, so a good result for him. And for Yumi Sasaki, who was seventh, that's his career best for the Japanese um, as well. Um, but a word on Romano Fanati, Dre, who finished in sixth. Um, and with Aaron Kanek crashing out with the Grand Prix midway through, he is essentially secure now as the championship runner up, which, um, as Fanati mentioned himself last weekend, is his best ever Grand Prix season. Um, and it's about time, isn't it, now? I mean, second in the championship, of course, he, like everyone, would like to win a championship in Moto 3 before moving up, but. This guy's done enough, surely, hasn't he, now in Moto3 to tell us that, look, it's just about time. Get into Moto2 and see what you can do there. 
yeah, this is sixth season in Moto Three. Like, we know you're good. We know you've been, you know, up there now for for a, for a number of years. I mean, he's been winning races in Moto Three since his rookie season in there. Like, he knows what to do. He's he's always good for 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 two to four wins a season. He's he's a perennial contender. And there's it's like the even if he won a title now, like what good would it serve? We know he, we know he's quality, and in, in, in the context of Moto Three, move up and see how good you really are. Because, like him sticking, around, like, he has nothing to gain from sticking around in Moto Three at this point. He's twenty one years old. He'll be twenty two when next season starts. Stick him in Moto Two and see where he belongs in a, in a really really big quality field like that. Yeah, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing that. John Mir and Fanati both in Moto Two next year, which is going to be exciting uh, to see. Um, the Australian Grand Prix. They finished like this. John Mir, the winner um, in the race that was called at two-thirds distance from Luvio Loy, Leopard 1-2, Jorge Martin third from Gabby Rodrigo, and Enea Bastianini in fifth. Um, Romano Fanati sixth. Ayumu Sasaki, uh, shout out to Fanati by the way for uh, getting a result given that he was essentially dropped out of a helicopter on Friday um, with that high side he had. Um, Sasaki seventh, Adam Norrid in eighth, um, Tatsuki Suzuki ninth on the uh, 658 uh, Honda. Um, I have to say, uh, a tear came to my eye when I saw his tweet yesterday um, on the uh, anniversary of uh, Marco Simicelli's tragic death at Sepang, um, given that Suzuki races for his team and how he um, has pledged to uh, stand alongside his father on the podium one day um, as a race winner. Yeah, um, that, that was a beautiful yeah, tweet. We, yeah, we certainly hope he does uh, in the future. And Lorenzo Dalla Porta, future Leopard rider who we mentioned, 10th uh, on the Mahindra. Um, so Mahindra, as uh, we mentioned last week, just in time for the exit from Moto3, have started getting good again. Um, of course. So, uh, so Dallaporta 10th, just ahead of uh, mine and uh, Pex's title to Nicolo Bulliger uh, in 11th. Uh, um, here is how the championship looks then um, at this stage. And of course, as we mentioned, Joan Mir is the world champion. Um, he has an unassailable 70-point lead of Romano Fanati with just 50 left on the table. Fanati has a lead of 42 points over Canet. Um, so um, he needs another eight points uh, from the last two races to confirm himself as the championship runner-up. Um, Canet is 33, clear of Jorge Martin in fourth, so Canet is pretty much secure in third. Uh, Martin jumping ahead of Fabio Di Gian Antonio last weekend after Digi crashed out, um, so they're fourth and fifth. Bastianini has jumped all the way up from ninth to sixth um, after John McPhee crashed out on lap one. Uh, Andrea Migno is eighth, just behind the Briton. Marcos Ramirez ninth, and Philippe Ertel tenth. Migno, incidentally, despite only finishing um, in the smaller points in 13th, is now the top KTM rider in the championship. Right, on to MotoGP, and God, I've been looking forward to discussing this race, um, because, because it's so good I watched it again yesterday, um, because Dre, I mean, we've said this before on Philip Island, but what an awesome race that was, a race that it probably didn't have the um, same level of championship drama of 2015, but for pure excitement, I think this race had every bit as much as that 2015 race did, it was brilliant. I don't care. That was a magnificent race. My God, this season, man. Neil Hodgson got best when he said it made Moto3 look tame. <laughs> yeah, that was basically four of the best bike riders in the world beating the shit out of each other for 28 laps. Can we do this again? Like, Can we do, can we do that every week, please? Don't do it again. I want an encore, damn it. Um, it was oh, it, it was an absolutely incredible race. An all-time classic. And amazing it's not even the first time i've said that this season it's probably the third or fourth um but just when you think this sport couldn't get any more ridiculous like 
I, I was actually watching that one with with brother Ryan, who we we both got up at six in the morning for it, and um, I think my dad was watching it from his house as well. And he gave me a call during the race, and I'm like, "This is ridiculous!" <laughs> we, we we were screaming on Facetime, and we were we woke up my sister during the race itself. <laughs> um, we were shameless in this. It was it was an unbelievable race, and. Like that is one of those races where you just say, if you want to, if you want to get into MotoGP, this is probably the best place to start because this is just one of those races where you go, this is an absolutely wonderful advert for your series because that race had everything pretty much. It, it, it was it was dramatic. It had championship implications. You had multiple contenders scrapping it out. There was contact. There was again. You see these bikes at two hundred and ten miles an hour down the front straight. Um, it was unbelievable. It was an incredibly special race, and sometimes they're they're tense. Sometimes you get these one on one dogfights like we got in Mategi. This was just sheer chaos, and it worked beautifully. Yeah, it did. It was a brilliant, brilliant race. And I mean, I, I watched half of it from behind the couch. To be honest, it was it was it was, it was getting a bit fraught at times. Um, and the number of times that I was watching that race, and I just like went, oh, oh, like, just watching some of the overtakes, thinking, God, that's a bit close. Um, and you know, yeah. there were two or three guys in particular that absolutely lit up uh, this Grand Prix who were, we're going to mention individually in a bit. But I think it's a measure of how good the race was and how much fun it was. Yeah, I mean, you tend to think if it's as fun for us to watch, it's probably fun to race in too. Um, and it, it, it didn't escape my attention, Dre, that obviously two years ago, Philip Island with the championship on the line for a, a certain Valentino Rossi, um, there was a lot of acrimony coming out of the Australian Grand Prix in a very similar kind of race. Um, but... At the end of this Grand Prix, uh, two years on, um, a Grand Prix that ended with Valentino Rossi with um, Mark Marquez's tyre rubber all over his shoulder. Um, Mark Marquez's <laughs> tail had a big bite out of it that Joan Zarco had taken earlier on. Um, yet every rider that I heard interview after that race pretty much just unanimously was saying how much fun they had. <laughs> no saltiness this time no accusations of, of, of robbery and you know and, and holding back this time around and um none of the bitterness that came as a result of you know arguably questionable tactics but this this was a race again they just beat the crap out of each other like i've never seen such battle damage off these bikes after a race before um the contact that zarko zarko is going to get a reputation zarko is going to piss somebody off really badly soon the way he's going with all this contact and whatnot um again vinales ross like rossi said if you don't want to race like that you're better off just going home because again he knows it's part of the sport and we all, they all roughed each other up it was an incredibly physical contest and you know people were, were, were taking chances everywhere because philip island is just that sort of circuit where you can pass almost anywhere and you know we had ian only in there making a late comeback replicating his form of two years ago as well it, it had everything and again like i've never seen a, a, such a physically demanding moto gp race before and that's what made it so captivating mm, and we'll talk about um the race winner uh, matt marquez in a moment and and how important that was um but to, to, to talk about how important it was, we have to kind of mention um, the the other side of the coin because there was kind of two races going on in one, which, which added to it because, of course, we were watching this amazing punch-up at the front um, between you know eight of the best riders in the world. And yet the race direction, which is always fantastic from Dorna, they, they had to keep cutting back to the midfield to try and find Andrea Dovizioso. Um, and, mm. and that's, we'll talk about Dovi now, Dre, because, I mean, I mean, the guy's been brilliant all season. 
Um, but his title hopes are kind of in tatters now. And um, the, the key moment where his championship kind of uh, went to the wall was lap two, turn one. And Dolby just kind of outbreaking himself, dropping to 20th. And really, uh, his goose was cooked. Yeah, like I think you, I think you could tell right there and then that that's when the championship went, and it's it's kind of somber really because this was outside of the way, like if, I'm not, I'm ignoring when he was taken out in Argentina by this was this was Dovi's worst result of the year by a mile, and it could not have come at a worse time, a race where you know like Ducati across the board was poor this weekend, and I'm and I'm, I'm stunned at how bad they were in the grand scheme of things, but Dovi going wide on lap two, outbreaking himself. And I mean, given what turn one is, that could have easily been an unmitigated disaster. Um, but he was able to come back to 11th and then drop to 13th off the final corner. Shout out to Danny Pedrosa doing the Lord's work for Repsol Honda there. Um, <laughs> doing his teammate a solid. Um, but, yeah, just just a, an absolute disastrous round from Davizioso, and that probably will end the title fight as we know. I mean, Marquez can win the title this weekend at Sepang with a top two finish, which, for, for what it's worth, he's finished seven out of the last eight races in the top two. The only one he hasn't was a race where his engine blew up. Mm. Um, yeah, Marquez is on the strongest run of form right now since he won the first 10 in 2014. And um, Dovi has chose the worst possible time to shit the bed. Um it's 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 sad. It's it's a little bit somber because I think we we both said this on Twitter that you know it, it looked like that was Marquez. It, it looked like it was a title clinching performance from Marquez, pretty much. Um, and Dovi just was nowhere all race long. He finished twenty one seconds off the win, which for Philip Island is a is a chasm. It's a postcode in Philip Island, given that it is a racetrack designed for close racing and close competition. And Dovi was twenty one seconds off the victory, which. Says it all, really. Unfortunately, um, a, a a a a kind of a, a, let's be real. I think it's it's a sad end to the title. Like where Marquez can probably bin it in Malaysia and still have a comfortable lead going into Valencia, where he'll control the title. Basically, I mean, it's it's pretty much done at this point. And it, it, I feel bad for Dovi because he's been absolutely incredible this season. He just chose the worst time to have a real real bad round. And in, in Dovi's defence, I think I think we should, we should mention this as well. All the Ducatis were, were flat-out shite uh, in Phillip Island. I mean, Dovi was the top Ducati qualifier and the only Ducati rider to make Q2 um, last weekend at Phillip Island. Um, and until about 10 metres from the finish line, he was the top Ducati in the race as well until Scott Redding motored past him. Um, I have to say... Oh, come on, man. If Scott Redding's coming over the line ahead of you, something's wrong. Yeah, uh, <laughs> what I did find funny, incidentally, just on a very side note, was uh, Scott Redding um, getting a bit of... Uh, getting a few pelters on Instagram, which... Um, given the amount of uh, stuff he puts on there. I can't necessarily say I feel too sorry for him. Um, no, but, um, no, but, but I saw one or two, um, presumably of Italian descent, commenting on him saying, hey, yeah, where were the team orders? Why were you overtaking Dovi? Um, I, was thinking, oh. I was thinking, give it a rest, guys. Even if even if you agree that team orders should be used, Scott Redding's not going to apply them because he's off to a prettier next year. You think he, <laughs> think he gives a damn about Ducati and team orders? He's leaving the team. Um, so, um, exactly. so I don't think Scott Redding has a case to answer there. And, and no. um, yeah, as I say, all the Ducati struggled last weekend, so it wasn't a case, just Dobby having a poor one, because Hawking Lorenzo only finished 15th in the Grand Prix. 
Um, that's how that's how, much, that's how much they struggled for pace. Beaten by Carol Abraham over the line on a photo finish on the final lap. Mm. What the hell is that? Yeah. Carol Abraham, who's on the GP15? Yeah, the uh, the bike that's supposed to be the most um, rideable, the most uh, versatile bike, it's finally found a circuit it doesn't work on. Uh, clearly, it doesn't work on Phillip Island, where uh, it doesn't really have the uh, straights and heavy braking zones to suit the Ducati, I suppose. Um, it's just such a, a fast corner speed flowing circuit where... Um, if Ducati are still having front end problems, I guess Philip Island's going to expose it um, more Absolutely. than any circuit uh, on the calendar. And yeah, I think Dovi, I don't know whether there was a bit of sort of demoralization going on because Dovi's pace was pretty poor later on because, of course, he, he had that bad start, fell down to 20th on the second lap, and then he made up a lot of ground, got himself up to 11th um, by around a third distance, and then couldn't reel the KTMs back in. Um, the, you know, the KTMs will fly out quicker and we'll, we'll talk about them later on because you know, they deserve a, an awful lot of credit for the weekend they had um, last weekend um, but when I was looking at the uh, the lap sheets uh, yesterday um, in preparation for this and um, looking at the race leading pace which was around sort of mid 130s um, as the race went on until Marquez pulled the pin um, Andrea Davizioso by the end of the race was doing high 131s um, so his, his pace just really dropped off and it was it was so much so that um, from running in clear air for a lot of time, Scott Redding just flat out reeled him in as Dovi's pace dropped off later on. And in the end, he dropped to 13th, which, as you say, is a real shame that the championship's not going to go to the wire because you kind of feel the way the season's gone that it deserves a final round shootout. It um, did. Which, um, unless Dovi wins and Matt Marquez has another um, stroke of bad luck, we're probably not going to get the last round decided. And even if we do, it's going to be a very uh, anticlimactic one. Uh, with Marquez needing only a handful of points probably in the final round uh, in Valencia. Um, and, and as far as Mark Marquez goes, Dre, I mean, um, a, a race like that, a, a flat-out war, in so many ways kind of suits Mark Marquez down to the ground because he's shown he can win those kind of races uh, in the past as long as, as long as people don't kick him off his bike. Um, and just the, again, another thing that I noticed from the lap charts where the, the, the race-leading pace was mid-130s um, for a lot of that race. Yet from lap, I think it was lap 22, Mark Marquez just suddenly went 30.2, 30.1, 30.0, and gapped them. <laughs> He's a cheat code. There is there is no other way to describe this man. He is a cheat code. He broke the toe yeah. at Phillip Island. To go home. Do you know how? Do you know how impossible that is? <laughs> like. Like we 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 saw him try it two years ago, and he and he just couldn't do it. Like Lorenzo, who's the metronome, couldn't do it when he was on the Yamaha two years ago. He, what he did was practically impossible, and he's done it for the second year in a row. Only last year he thought, "Hey, I've already won the title. Let's bring back the old Mark." Boof, crash, um, and yeah, crash. I will go on to win that day. Oh dear, but um, yeah, like you say, like. Marquez again he has the seventh gear effect that nobody else has got he got to the front he thought okay there's seven laps to go and he said it in the post-race press conference where he said okay eight laps to go I'm going to push and he did and he he, he goes 30 get 30 31 2 31 1 31 dead and next also oh, sorry, 30 point two, 30 point one, 30 dead and then he's gone yeah. see if y'all can keep up yeah, um, turns out they couldn't, <laughs> and Marquez wins by 1.8 seconds by the time the finish line comes along, and yeah, just just another masterclass performance from Mar Marquez, and it, it's almost it's getting boring talking about, almost getting boring talking about the superlatives of this man's ability, but 
He's he's yeah. won. But I don't. But, 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 yeah, but equally, I don't think we should stop talking about it, given that there are still no. there are still packs of uh, of spectators around the world that see fit to boo him um, when he wins the Grand Prix. Wankers. Get a what get a grip, wrong? Australia. Um, what is wrong with you people? Yeah. Serious, like, like seriously, that was one of the best races MotoGP has ever seen. If you were not entertained by that, you're not a bike fan. You're going down there because you're a Valentino Rossi fan and you want to cause anarchy. Get a frigging grip, you idiots! Yeah. Like even, even Rossi shook Marquez's hand after that Grand Prix. So yeah, Valentino Rossi can shake Marquez's hand after a race like that. You can, you can. The very least you can do is applaud the guy. Um, for winning the Grand Prix, yeah, it was, it's just, just <laughs> pathetic. Um, so uh, yeah, I'll never stop banging the drum about good Mark Marquez is if people are still going to boo the guy when he wins. Um, so uh, so uh, so yeah, a brilliant, brilliant ride. And just to illustrate that that seventh gear effect that that Dre has termed it as, um, I couldn't believe this when I looked at the the fastest laps of every rider in the Grand Prix um, because MotoGP to their immense credit do a brilliant job on on their website. If you can basically go on their website and just look at all the different result sheets you want. Um, yeah, find any, any information you want from the race, and there's a, there's a sheet that tells you each rider's fastest lap um, in order. And Zarco set the fastest lap with that 29.5 uh, on the second lap. 29.5. Um, I think oh. a monster toe down the helm straight helped, but even so, brilliant lap from Zarco. But every single rider in the field set their fastest lap in the race at half distance or earlier. Um, I lap 14 out of 27 or earlier, with one exception. Mark Marquez, who set his fastest lap with four to go on lap 23, <laughs> um, where he did that 30 dead. Um, like Everyone else was starting to run out of tires by that point because Philip Island chews tires. And Dre, Mark does. Marquez can save his fastest lap until four from the finish. How is he doing this? <laughs> He's defying the laws of physics. This is ridiculous. Like, Michelin's tires... They have a cliff. They they drop off after about six or seven laps. So yeah, most of the time, the fastest lap will come in the first half of the race. Yeah, Zarco like Marquez, it. the fastest lap was yeah. lap two. Yeah, but Marquez had this. Has just got this ridiculous knack of being able to save himself for like the last five laps. Or he'll, where he, he's got again. He's got a seventh gear. The bike's clearly illegal. I want that thing <laughs> checked out thoroughly. Um, no, it, it doesn't make any sense. And again, he's just got this extra gear that nobody else has got. And like everybody else chews their tires up. Marquez goes, goes behind. He takes his time. He saves it, gets to the front, pulls the pin and wins. He's made the whole field look stupid. He's not fair. He's a cheat code. Stop it. Yeah, just <laughs> unbelievable. And as you say, he can win the championship this very weekend um, at Sepang. Um, so um, yeah we might well be uh, talking about a six time world champion um, on next week's show he'd only be three behind yeah. Valentino Rossi um, at magic, the age of 24 magic, magic, the magic number is 18 points uh, Mark Marquez needs to score 18 points between now and the end of the season to win the championship and that, that number goes down if Dovi doesn't win both of them both of the last two rounds so yeah as mentioned a top two finish for Mark Marquez in Sepang will win him the championship <laughs> yeah and if, uh, if Dovi finishes second a top four finish will do the trick and so on as, as they go back down the order um, so uh, yeah because I mean I would I would I wouldn't be uh, necessarily averse to putting a bit of money on Dobby to win this weekend because I think he's probably got a very good chip. he's very good at Sepang. he's very good at Sepang and that Ducati will love the long straights of Sepang and if it's and Sepang good chance of, wet, of rain as well mm. so so um, yeah that's probably Dobby's last chance that, that rain comes and Mark Marcus falls off which he did last year um, in this Grand Prix, mm -hmm. uh, albeit having yeah. already won the championship um, but uh, we'll we'll talk about Sepang of course on next week's show. Um, 
In terms of this Grand Prix, though, Valentino Rossi taking second. And um, it's his first podium since Silverstone um, when he was third that day. And, of course, he's uh, had a broken leg since then in two places. Um, so, um, yeah, the 37-year-old with a broken leg in two places, he just probably still hasn't fully healed by now. Um, second place ain't a bad result under those circumstances, Dre. <laughs> No, he's, he had a he, again. It's easy to forget he had a pre had a broken leg a month ago, and he's 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 finishing second. He like Rossi, you could tell he was delighted at that second place finish. That uh, he was able to run with the front pretty much all the way through, and I'm, he, I I don't think that leg's anywhere near a hundred percent, and yet he still found the way to get it done. Um, one of the, one of his strongest rides of the year, I'd argue. It's certainly his best assassin. That was a, a great performance from Valentino, and it was a vintage Rossi performance. He, he won that dogfight in the end, coming over the line for second in, in vintage Rossi fashion. Um, I wouldn't expect him to do it any other way. So, uh, yeah, very impressive stuff from Rossi again, especially given the circumstances. Brilliant job from Rossi again. Yeah, you're right to mention that as well, because I remember watching that final lap and just, just being impressed at just how Rossi handled that. Just he kept, he just he covered his line so brilliantly into the two big overtaking pot spots, the two hairpins at Honda and MG, um, where Zarco is all over him like a rash, and, uh, and Rossi's able to take that tighter line to basically block the block the overtaking line up the inside um, and hold Zarco off, and basically knowing that he should be able to make it to the finish line out of the last corner ahead of Zarco as long as he gets off that final corner well enough, which he just did. Um, to, to just take, about. To take second, but well, in a photo finish, a three-way photo finish over the line. Um, with his teammate, Mario Vinales and Zarco. Um, but yeah, um, a, a great result for Rossi. Given that, the obviously, the weather was mixed through pre-practice, but of course, Valentino Rossi didn't really show much front-running pace at any stage through pre-practice or qualifying. Qualified seventh on the grid um, and had to go via Q1, let us not forget, um, because mm-hmm. he got the top 10 on Friday and then it rained on Saturday morning, so uh, he had to go through Q1. Um, he and Bradley Smith, as it happens, came out of Q1 um, to go through Q2. And um, Rossi, yeah, showing that pace that he always seems to save for, for Sunday um, these days to, to finish second and um, doing something that he hasn't done many times this year, which is beat by Maverick Vinales, his teammate, on the road um, in a Grand Indeed. Prix. Um, and um, Maverick as well. I mean, his championship hopes are now mathematically over, unfortunately, um, Maverick Vinales, now that he's he is 50 points behind Mar- Marquez, but Marquez has now won six races to Vinales' three. So even two wins for Vinales and two DNFs for Marquez, Vinales would still lose the title on countback. Um, at Valencia so uh, unfortunately for, for him given how dominant he was at the start of the season Merrick Mignales now cannot win the world championship um, in 2017 um, but he's another rider Dre that I think can come out of this Grand Prix in Australia with a lot of credit because um, I noticed through the warm-up session on Sunday morning where Vinales was second fastest he seemed to find a level of performance and confidence in the wet that he hasn't shown all year um, and he was on the pace throughout in the dry as well. We finally got a, a glimpse of the Marquez Vinales battle we've been waiting to see all season. Um, just, just, um, just a sliver, a tease. Just a, just a tease of it. But then, unfortunately, um, Vinales tripped over Jack Miller with about four or five laps to go. And to his credit, from there, where he dropped back to seventh, did a pretty miraculous job to get himself back up to third in the end. Yeah, Maverick got tangled up a little bit there. He was in the wars, um, like, like many of them in, in, in that leading group this time around. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, v- Maverick should take uh, some positives out of this one because, he, again, he, he, he took a step forward in the wet. He was able to, to come through a dogfight relatively well, narrowly missed out on second place but um, was competitive all race long, um, did very well to come back. His, 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 again, his everybody in MotoGP. Um, 
the post-mortem on this season might not be pretty for Yamaha at all, unfortunately, given the circumstances of how, and how their season's played out. But by any measure, that was a good race for Maverick. Um, hopefully, one will give him a bit of confidence going into Sepang when it should be better. Um, the Yamaha tend to go well, tend to go well at Sepang next time round. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But yeah, a very, very strong performance um, from Maverick there, and one a real bounce back for him because he's had a, a string of pretty poor results in, in recent times. So, a nice his first podium in four races. So, um, good, good result from Maverick. Yeah, same as Rossi, first podium since uh, Silverstone. Um, back at the end of August. Um, second, third, and fourth across the line were covered by just 43 thousandths of a second. Um, and it's a real shame the guy who finished third of these three, fourth in the race. Um, there is no justice for me, Dredd. This guy didn't end up on the podium because this race was an absolute classic, an absolute 10 out of 10 Grand Prix. Yes. And we owe an awful lot of that to Joan Zarco. The man is ridiculous. <laughs> you look at it's like. You look at him and you go, that's a rookie? Um, how? Um, he, he, he's insane. He, he's incredible. Um, and congratulations to him for seeding the rookie of the year um, on for, for the year. Um, Jonas Volga sadly not taking part in this for the second straight round and he won't be in Sepang either. Get well soon, Jonas, um, by, any, by all accounts. But uh, that doesn't take anything away from how utterly phenomenal Zarko was this weekend. Uh, a magnificent performance. He deserved better than fourth, if you ask me, given he's on last year's bike going against those two um, factory runners. And yet there he was you know, once again, like Lamar, on trading blow for blow with with Maverick, who has had all the reputation boosts going in, and the greatest ride we've ever seen in Valentino Rossi, and Zarco looks like he belongs as a rookie on a on last year's Yamaha. Like, 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 can we please do not gloss over just how incredible he has been this season? And this this this, this might be the pick of the bunch. I know he finished second at Le Mans, but for standout performances. This is up there with, with, with Le Mans as well as another just feather in the cap, outstanding ride from Johan Zarco. Deserved the podium, didn't quite get it, but I mean, he's now finished 14 consecutive races in the points um, as well. And his consistency has been phenomenal. He's taken gambles and not worked out here and there. But uh, this fourth place is this might be the highlight of, of Zarco's season, even more so than the, than the home podium at Le Mans, because. He, he was trading punches with the very best in MotoGP yet again and very nearly came out on top. He was. Phenomenal. He, he was, he was well, landing I mean, haymakers through that Grand Prix. I mean, yeah. he, MotoGP always do a sort of best overtake um, twi- uh, social media vote the week after the Grand Prix. I'd be surprised if all, all three overtakes in the running are all Joan Zarco overtakes. Because um, yeah. surely no one put more moves on than him. I mean, some of the moves he was putting on, I mean, they, they mentioned during the race on commentary on BT Sport that you know, this guy just does not respect reputations. You know, even no. like, even when you come up against a guy like Valentino Rossi, who uh, has shown in the past against other riders that he can possess a certain level of, of intimidation, um, where riders see that, that yellow 46 and get a bit spooked. Um, or feel perhaps a little bit in awe of the guy they're up against. Sarko didn't. Sarko carved him up going through the hay shed, um, which is not yeah. an overtaking spot in anyone's book. Um, and, and Zarko just made it one um, with an incredible move up the insider there in a place where you're not supposed to overtake. And then he took a bite out of Mark Marquez's tail, um, quite literally, because yep. there was a piece of it missing in part of Verme. The championship leader, uh, very nearly getting wiped out by Zarko, who just basically didn't care. 
Uh, he was just going for it. Um, and yeah, a, a sensational result for Jean Zarco. And there were two other riders that I want to give special mentions to, Dre, who also lit up this Grand Prix. Um, and yeah. one of them has to go to the guy who led it at Turn 1 at his home Grand Prix. And much like Valentino Rossi, is riding with a three-week-old broken leg. Uh, just how good was Jack Miller? Outstanding. That might have been like the that's the best ride of Miller's career since that win at Aston last year. That was phenomenal. Um, um from Miller to finish in seven. Again, got, got he got the whole shot, got a brilliant start, qualified in fifth. I mean, he had one of his most complete weekends of his Moto GP career, three weeks off a broken leg. The home fans must have been giving him a good half second in, in motivation because Miller was outstanding this weekend. Uh, like you can see the investment that Honda's made in him, as uh, he, he's turned him into a, into a great rider. And I look forward to seeing what he does on the Ducati next year because he he's put together a very good season by by all accounts. And this again, this might be the cherry on top because that was incredibly impressive. Miller getting the whole shot, qualifying on the second row, finishing seventh on a three week old broken leg. Like if they, and like I feel bad for Miller because we absolutely waxed lyrical about Rossi and we know what nobody talked about Miller coming back three weeks off a broken leg. I know it's not the same level of reputation of Ryder, of course, because Valentino is Valentino. But it was, uh, I think it was yeah. a slightly com- more comfortable, if you can call that a comfortable injury. Because Rossi broke his in two places, Miller in one. Um, but even even so, um, that should not take it away from it at all. Um, what kind no, of what kind of superhuman effort that Jack Miller made to come back and be competitive and lead the Grand Prix um, as well at his home race, and that's the first time he's ever led a Grand Prix in the dry uh, in his career. Um, and uh, yeah, perhaps uh, he might be slightly uh, disappointed when he looks at how the Ducatis go. That that's probably his future fate at home Grand Prix from now on um, on that bike at that circuit. Um, but we'll uh, leave that <laughs> till uh, till next year. That's not his problem until this time next year when he joins Danilo Petrucci at the Pramac team. Um, the other rider that I want to mention, and in fact I want to mention both Suzuki riders, but we'll start with Andrea Inone, um, who, um, of course, has come in for a hell of a lot of criticism this season, and rightly so, um, given how his season's gone. Um, but he has gone a little way, hasn't he, Dre, in these last two races to um, rebuilding some of that good faith at Suzuki and his reputation, that fourth in the wet at Mategi. And he looked at Phillip Island when he was competing for the podium like the old Andrea Inone was back. Uh-oh, Crazy Joe's back. Uh, everybody lock up your wives. Um, yeah, yeah, Andre Ian only was back with a vengeance this weekend, and it was a pleasure to see him back up the front where he belongs, quite frankly. The talent is, says it all with 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 um with Andrea, and I'm, I'm glad the last two races he's, he's shown why Suzuki employed him in the first place to lead their factory outfit because um, a, a, a second great performance from him. I'm glad he was up there. Um, it's still amazing that he's 15th in the championship after all of this, and it's despite two outstanding rides in his last two races. But um, yeah, he's 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 been he's been he's been great. And then again, like it was it was nice to see the maniac back, even if it was for one weekend only, um, up the front um, where where he should be, quite frankly. And again, him and Rins, another great performance from Rins to get in the top eight again for the third time in four races. Um, so yeah, go, go, yeah, Suzuki. They're finally starting to get it together after what's been a disastrous season by their standards. Um, they like you're starting to see why they went with Iannone and Rins as their team going forward because both were very, were very good this time round. Yeah, they were, and um, yeah, uh, uh, Iannone, who there was that there was that half a lap period where 
Um, I mean, if Mark Marquez hadn't broken them already, he certainly did when Yanone and Zarco effectively engaged in mortal combat for half a lap um, <laughs> around, around the, uh, the penultimate lap, I think it was, or the lap before that, um, where the overtakes were just flat out rude on each other. And, 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 and Julian Ryder just said on commentary, they're going to crash, they're going to crash. It just, it just yeah. had that look to it when uh, Yanone and Zarco, yeah. two riders who are not backwards and coming forwards, um, were just basically knocking spots off each other. Just neither of them cared. Yeah. Um, and uh, in the end, both of them lost out to Valentino Rossi, who, um, yeah, you kind of get the feeling that that kind of battles right in Rossi's wheelhouse too um, in the end. And uh, the, the wily old fox got the better of them. Um, but yeah, Rins as well. I mean, for the first time in MotoGP, we saw Alex Rins comfortably running with the leading group. He had a leading group of eight for a lot of that Grand Prix until Rins yeah. started to fade with around 10 laps to go. Um, before finishing in a really comfortable eighth place. Um, and I, I think back to Maverick Vinales' rookie season on the Suzuki, and I, I remember at Phillip Island where I think he had a, a brilliant ride to sixth, um, where he ran with the leaders mm. in that Grand Prix, and Rins is doing the same. Um, and, of course, we know how well Maverick Vinales went in his second season of all the Suzuki, and I'm not saying for a minute that Rins is necessarily going to start winning next year. Um, but as you said, he, Suzuki's investment in both riders is now starting to look pretty smart, and... You've got to think Rins is going to be a real force next year. Oh, I'd say so. I mean, si- since the injury, I mean, since, since he's come back from injury, he's had five performances in the top 10 out of eight out of nine races. And that's very solid given how competitive MotoGP has been this year, given that every other major factory has stepped their game, especially KTM it's, and especially Ducati. You can see Rins' confidence growing by the weekend. Um, yeah, also exactly. He's, he's, his confidence is going up by the weekend. He's doing an excellent job. Um, he's killing it right now. Um, yeah, like Rins has been phenomenal the second half of this season. He's really put together a string of consistent great results. And Ianoni is again. He's 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 come through some of the adversity, and he's now starting to show why he was so good at Ducati in the first place. Um, so yeah, the investment is starting to pay off. If Suzuki can find a bit more in their bike for next year. Goodness, only knows where they're going to end up because it, the, the field is so beautifully balanced right now, and we haven't even we haven't even talked about both KTM's in the top ten. Well, well uh-huh. let's do that then, uh, because K- yeah. KTM up next, ninth and tenth, um, and I would go as far as to say this was KTM's best race weekend yet um, in, in MotoGP, and they've had some pretty good ones um, already. Um, because let's let's just look at the pure facts both riders into q2 again and this time both riders into q2 on dry pace alone and nothing else Paul Spargo was top 10 on friday in the dry and bradley smith in a dry q1 out qualified all of the ducatis that were in that session um and joined valentino rossi in the top two um to get himself into that qualifying two uh, where he qualified ahead of Paul as it happened um in ninth position um and the two KTMs finished literally side by side over the line, just uh, 11 thousandths of a second between them um, with, with yep. Paul getting Bradley on the final lap. Um, and KTM will be pleased at that, first of all, because you know when your two riders are finishing side by side over the line, you pretty much know that bike won't go any quicker. Um, that is about the level exactly. of your bike. Um, but they were they were, they were ninth and tenth straight throughout the entire Grand Prix. Um, 16 seconds off the winner. They were flat out quicker than all of the Ducatis. That's astonishing. Like that's 
That's awesome. And again, we, we, we talk about it. KTM are making alarming progress here. Like Suzuki, it took Suzuki a year and a half to get to this sort of to get to this sort of position. And they had a like, Maverick Vinales on, on, on one half of the garage with Alicia Spagaro on the other side. Two excellent riders and in their own right. came from further back because KTM, as early as the opening race this season, was solidly at the back of the field, about three seconds off the pace. And they're now midfield runners. And they're now strong midfield now runners now. Where they can, runners. Well, yeah, they're running in Q2. And them in the points is no longer a fluke. Polar Spagro has had five straight point scoring finishes. And Bradley seems to have stepped his game up since he, since he got the contract extension. So, yeah, like, the, the, this, this team is coming together very quickly. And, like, KTM are going to be very... Like, they're going to be very pleased at how this season's turned out. Polar Spagaro is proving that he is a fantastic team leader um, to spare the team. And Bradley, yeah, he's had some rough results. But, uh, again, like Bradley, he's also shown, again, why KTM had so much faith in him to begin with. I mean, another top 10 ride from him as well. The bikes finished side by side. You know that they got the maximum out of that bike for that weekend. And Calio has played a very important role in that as well as test rider in the third wild card as well. So let's not forget about Mika Calio because he's had a very important role. He was the first guy to develop the bike and test it and get it to this point. So uh, Calio, I hope they keep sending Calio all the backdated royalty checks because uh, he's had a very, very important role in KTM's development. <coughs> but but uh, overall, yeah, KTM has been superb. And um, yeah, he deserves all the credit in the world um, for, for doing what he's done. He's been phenomenal. Yeah, I think uh, Calio back for uh, Valencia as well, I think, as a wild card there. So, uh, oh, yes, so uh, uh, yes, we'll, uh, we'll see Calio one more time this season um, out, in the, out in the race. And uh, yeah, those KTMs are looking uh, a real weapon um, as this MotoGP season comes to a close. So uh, there'll be another team to keep a very close eye on next season to see if they can make another step and really do really join... Uh, those big three manufacturers towards the front. Uh, here's how the race then finished, and um, if you haven't watched it, got your way to find it. And if you have, if you've watched it, just watch it again um, because it's that good. <laughs> yes. Mark Marquez, the winner um, from Valentino Rossi and Maverick Vinales, second and third for Yamaha. Yamaha two three four with Zarco on the Tech Three bike fourth. Cal Crutchlow, we haven't mentioned, but he deserves mention for finishing fifth. Um, of course, winner last year. Uh, ahead of Ian One and Jack Miller, who was 7th on his home Grand Prix. Alex Rins 8th, ahead of the KTMs of Paul and Bradley Smith, ninth and 10th. Um, Aleish, incidentally, was in that leading group as well early on before crashing out on the Aprilia. Um, Scott Redding, 11th, top Ducati. Danny Pedrosa, 12th. Less said, the better. Uh, Andre Davizioso, ditto, 13th. Carol Abraham, 14th. And Jorge Lorenzo, the final point uh, in 15th position. Championship standings with two to go. Mark Marquez is almost there. Uh, he almost has his fourth MotoGP title and is sixth in all classes. He leads Andrea Davizioso now by 33 points with just 50 to play for. Top two finish in Malaysia this weekend wins the title. Um, Maverick Vinales is now mathematically out of it in third, um, although that's probably where he's going to finish. He could actually still catch Davizioso for championship runner-up. Um, he trails Dobby by 17 points. Valentino Rossi has jumped back ahead of Danny Pedroso for fourth um, by 14 points with his second place. Sean Zarco is sixth. Uh, 21 clear of Lorenzo and as Dre mentioned Zarco is now guaranteed to finish this year as the top rookie in the sport um, Daniela Petrucci 8th he had an absolute nightmare of a weekend um, pretty much the slowest rider in the field uh, with the exception of the of the replacement Brock Parks Cal Crutchlow is ninth in the points and Jonas Folger who we might not see again this season still holds on to a top 10 spot in the championship on 84 points um, Moto2 up next then and um more good news if you're a KTM fan. Um, it's uh, a surprise that uh, Ryan King didn't uh, request an appearance on this week's show. 
um, given how well they went. Uh, because they made history in Moto2 at long last. The KTM victory that we've been waiting for all season finally arrived. And um, in Jordan F1 style, Dre, they didn't only take their first win, but they did it with a 1-2 finish, um, which was outstanding. Um, and we'll come on to Brad Binder, the second of the two in a moment. But Miguel Oliveira, um, as much as a KTM victory, Dre, has been coming in Moto2, so has a Miguel Oliveira win. No one in the field has deserved the win this season more than Miguel Oliveira. He he is he spearheaded that KTM effort going forward, <clears throat> and he's been up the front all season long, pretty much. And like right from the outset, first race in he was he was fourth at Qatar and competitive. Second time around he was he was in that leading group with Morbidelli and, and Marquez and. The win's been coming. He's been knocking on the door all season long and a, a big, big win for Miguel Oliveira and a, a phenomenal performance as well. I mean, I mean, we were, we're all taking a trip to the dentist this weekend yeah. because Miguel was just superb. Um, again, like just led from the front pretty much all the way through, broke the leading group when the rain out. came down. He checked out. He was like the confidence of Miguel Oliveira to to ride that well in uh, in changeable conditions, a race that probably should have been stopped a little earlier. Um, turns out he was he was even faster yeah. uh, when when the rain came down. Unbelievable stuff from Miguel Oliveira. So this is this has been coming for a long time and. Again, he's like he's always had that 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 talent that we saw him of him in Moto Three when he was just ridiculous in the second half of that season. And yeah, Kiefer wasn't the best outfit for him with Leopard, and he's 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 gone to KTM. He's he's led the team, and he's now third in the championship, only behind the two powerhouse contenders of Morbidelli and Luti this season, who we all thought were going to be up the front this time round, and they have been all season long. But Miguel, outstanding, um, a much, much deserved win. It's long overdue for Miguel, and I'm delighted for him. Um, and uh, yeah, what a what a result for KTM. They're going to be absolutely delighted with that. Mm, yeah, I mean, the <laughs> forecasting forward a, a touch. I mean, I don't like saying this as a, as a Bradley Smith supporter, but... I would put good money right now on Miguel Oliveira being on one of those KTM GB bikes in 2019. Um, I just think that's where he's heading um, because he's, he is, he is mm. that good. He, he is a MotoGP rider in waiting. And if you're KTM, you want to get this guy signed up long-term so no one else can take him from you um, because he is a stellar talent and he's going to be one of the top MotoGP riders, I think, in, in the future um, because he... I mean, we, we shouldn't forget that if you go right back to the start of his career in the Junior World Championship, he was Mar Maverick Vinales' equal um, in, in the 125s and, and Moto3 as it was back then. Um, and obviously their careers went in different paths since then as they um, went in different teams. Oliveira ended up in slightly uh, more modest teams in the 125 classes, whereas Vinales mm. ended up with factory support and you know made full use of it, won a championship. Um, but Oliveira, I believe, is every bit as talented uh, as married me eyes, he's just he's perhaps a bit more of a late bloomer, and he's now putting it together uh, in Moto2. And it, it does set up next season. I, I sort of teed this up a little bit earlier, Andre, but um, how good is Moto2 going to be next year with the likes of Joan Mir and Romano Fanati moving up? But you've got the uh, the Calix boys of Alex Marquez, who's not likely going to be a contender again. We've seen Pacini come on strong this season. Um, you've got the strong runners like Sam Lowe's and Hector Barbara coming down from MotoGP. Right. Sam Lowe's is going to be one who enjoyed that result of, of Oliveira's because, of course, he's going to be on a KTM with the Intervetten team next season. Um, so you throw all those things into the mix and you've got a genuine constructor battle between Calix and KTM. It's got all the ingredients next season for a classic Moto2 season. 
it, it could very well be. There's a lot. We haven't even mentioned Pekko Banyaya yeah. either, for example. We'll also who's be on a KTM with Skybia 46. We'll also be in a KTM. He's he's going to be Moto 2 Rookie of the Year this year. And he's in the top five of the championship already. So you're absolutely right. There is seven or eight dudes who can win the championship next year easily. On, on two different chassis as well. And there's some powerhouse names coming down in Lowe's and Barbara to, 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 mix, to mix it up with inevitably Marquez, Oliveira, Binder, Mir. Like, like good, like goodness me, it's going to be it's, it's, it's stacked. Moto2 is absolutely stacked next year and it should produce all sorts of drama. Yeah, we're, we're looking forward to that. And uh, I, I, I think there's every reason that Brad Binder can figure in that as well, as well Dre, because of course he's going to be in his second season, hopefully a season that doesn't get interrupted by injuries. Um, but you just need to look at the progress this guy has made since recovering from the injury um, that essentially took out his first half of the year. Um, and he, he won a race-long battle with Franco Morbidelli, no less, um, to finish second. And did you notice it when, when we had that sort of shower towards the end of the race? And then next thing I noticed, I looked at the uh, on-screen graphics and I said, is Brad Brinder just done the fastest lap of the race? <laughs> I laughed. I was like, what the hell is that? Um, uh, Brad Binder pulls a 133.5 out, even though it's uh, even though it's spitting with rain, and he's just seen Takaki Nakagami fall off at the hay shed because it's spitting with rain, and Binder does that. I mean, I mean, and that was an enormous crash for Taka as yeah, well. Jesus. Yeah, he, was, he was one guy that wished it had been red flagged early. Um, cause he, cause he yeah, no kidding. But well, this is a guy who's who, again, it's startling the progress that Brad Binder is making. Um, as a Moto2 rider, and uh, yeah, he's surely got to be a rider. There's every reason to suggest he'll be up the front next year. I, I don't know how he can ride a motorcycle with his brass balls being <laughs> that big. It must surely be very uncomfortable for him. Um, Brad Binder, my word, what a, what a remarkable turnaround he's had. Now, he's now in the top 10 of the championship um, as a rookie, and again, he's he's gone from strength to strength. The last five rounds, he's been outstanding um, since he's since he's finally got the got the arms sorted out, and yeah, he, he's going to be right up there. The guy is another outstanding talent. Like KTM's got a freaking wonderful set of riders there to have: Paul Bradley, Callio, who's been very important, and and in the Moto Two class, you've got Binder and Oliveira. You're spoiled for choice. Um, it's, it's it's ridiculous. Um, again, spin the strongest ride in Moto2 by a country mile. The guy is completely fearless. Um, I don't know how he does this, but yet here we are. Um, yeah, Binder, outstanding. Um, brilliant, brilliant performance from him. And uh, yeah, again, I can't wait to see how he gets a, how he does with a full season under his belt next year because... Uh, he again outstanding performance from Binder. I'd like to say he he won a race long battle with the championship leader and champion elect, as we'll discuss in a moment, Franco Morbidelli, um, who overtook Binder a couple of times in that race, and you kind of thought, well, here we go, Oliveira's uh, sorry, Morbidelli has finally got the better of him, and then Binder just kept coming back for more um, and overtaking yeah. him again, um, and he had the added bonus, of course, from a KTM point of view of, of playing a bit of a team role and allowing Oliveira to break away um, up the front as the two fought over second and third. Um, but yeah, a stunning ride for Brad Binder, and uh, congratulations to KTM. They have they have enhanced the Moto2 class no end um, by finally giving Calix a bit of competition up the front, um, and a yes, one-two sir. finish is is just reward for the season that they've had um, this season and their two riders who've been superb all year. Um, third though went to Franco Morbidelli Dre, and with uh, Thomas Lutti getting um, yeah beaten up, getting the executive order carried out as it started to rain, and they shuffled him back to tenth. 
Morbi Daddy. Not the executive order. Yeah, not that <laughs> one. Um, but uh, yeah, Tom Sykes knows that one all too well. Um, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was carried out on Thomas Lutie this weekend. And it has to be said now, with Morbi Daddy finishing third, which I think once he realized where Lutie was, that was pretty much all he had to do. He's got one hand on the championship now. Yeah, I think that's safe to say. I mean, 29-point lead with two to go. Again, Frankie can wrap it up with a win at Sepang next week. Um, it's 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 a shame. That, like Again, it's one of those like Lutie may have just fallen on his sword the last two races, really. Um, when Morbidelli, again, not, not, not the outstanding win he's been known for, but a, a champion's performance, you know, getting the best of what you could do. On not your best day, and that's when you win titles. And that was a that was a that was a gut punch to, to, to Thomas Lutie's um, title hopes. Um, and he, he didn't have an answer for the KTM's this time round, but um, but more but that he did what he had to do, get the bike over the line, strong third place finish. Lutie really struggled out there, which is, which surprised me, given that he was very strong here last year. Um, just didn't have it this time round. Maybe maybe the warm up crashes did 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 did, did uh, Lutie uh, to uh, some confidence harm, because uh, Lutie was just nowhere near in the race. And um, yeah, the KTM's and Frankie did what they had to do to get up there and take. It's a big one as well. I mean, I, I was watching. I was, watch, I was watching that warm-up session live, and I was thinking, "Why are they running this? Why aren't they red flagging this? Because everybody's falling off." Um, it it, it yeah. just looked a bit dangerous out there in warm-up, and uh, we saw Marcel Schrotter get stretched away. And um, I was thinking to myself, "You know, poor Marcel Schrotter. He's just qualified on the front row of the grid. Um, his uh. best ever qualifying just by Matteo Pasini, and then he that happens to him. And then, of course, he raced anyway, and then high sided himself into oblivion and wiped the pole man Pasini out on lap two. Um, so it was a day from hell for Schrotter after his best ever qualifying the day before uh, on the Saturday. Um, referring to Lutzi, it, it was a surprise to see how bad he went in the race, not least because of how his teammate went. Uh, I mean, I, I looked through this result, Dre, and even through watching this race, um, and you'll go, Oliveira, the winner, from Binder, Morbidelli, fourth place, Jesco Raffin. Huh? Hmm. Uh, Who? Uh, <laughs> have you got any explanation for this, Dre? Because I've got nothing. Um, he was clearly trying to avenge his fallen national comrade Dominique Agata for trying very hard to get another Swiss one-two finish. Yes, Gareth, well, I'm going to step up to the plate here. Um, um, sadly, it wasn't quite a one-two, but I appreciate the effort, Raffin. Um, well, well, well done for a for a season high finish by a country mile by finishing an outstanding fourth place. It just, seemed, it just seems this circuit, you just tend to get the odd shock performance, like Livio Loy. In Moto Three, and I'm pretty sure Axel Pons had a point, didn't he, a year or two back in Moto Two as well, it did uh, out, out yeah. of nowhere. So yeah, it just seems that circuit that obviously it is a rider's circuit. So perhaps it's just a circuit that if you click with it, you, you can soon be transformed from bang average, which with the greatest respect, Raffin's been all year, to rather yep. good. And he beat Xavi Vierke in a sprint finish to the finish line out of the last corner for fourth. Um, the overall result then. Oliveira, the winner from Binder, KTM 1-2. On Morbidelli, third from Raffin and Vieje on the Tech 3, fifth. Um, backing up his podium from the week before. Alex Marquez, sixth, who won the battle of the uh, second group, which involved Luti. Um, Simone Corsi, seventh for speed up. Egeta, eighth uh, on the first of the suitors, ahead of Sandro Cortese, second of the suitors. And Thomas Luti, second in the championship. I'm probably going to stay there. Uh, Axel Pons, 11th, with Pekka Bagnaia, 12th. Stefano Manzi, his teammate, 13th ahead of Lorenzo Baldassari and home favourite Remy Gardner, who scored the last point on the Tech 3 bike in 15th place. Championship standings then, two races to go. 
in Moto2. Morbidelli has a 29-point lead. As Dre mentioned, a win in uh, Malaysia this weekend wins the title for Morbidelli. Anything other than a win for Luti, uh, Morbidelli can afford to finish third uh, and still win the title. Uh, Miguel Oliveira has jumped back ahead of Alex Marquez for third now in the points. That one's probably going to go down to the wire. There's a point between them in third and fourth. Uh, Francesco Bagnaia is Rookie of the Year and fifth in the points, ahead of Pasini in sixth. Uh, Takaki Nakagami is seventh. Simone Corsi, eighth for speed up. Chari Vierke, ninth for tech three. And Brad Binder is back into the top ten on the second of the KTMs. Next round of the championship in all three classes is this weekend, the Malaysian Grand Prix. Still more to come. So we're talking World Superbikes next. Um, we're off to Jerez. And um, given what happened in World Superbikes, the results were kind of familiar. Uh, we're going to do World Superbikes last um, because it was probably the least newsworthy of all the classes. Because we're going to talk about the championships that were wrapped up, first of all. Um, starting in STK 1000 because it was the final round of the championship. And Michael <laughs> Ruben Rinaldi crowned the champion uh, for Aruba Ciccati. Um, a three-way championship decider, which kind of had the stuffing knocked out of it right at the start of it, where Florio Marino, who went into the race second in the points behind Rinaldi, and the highest of the three in qualifying, he was sixth on the grid, um, with uh, Toprak Razgatioglu, who was third in the points, 11th on the grid, and uh, Rinaldi 14th. Um, Marino was taken out by one of the wild cards at turn two, um, the same corner that saw a collision uh, between Davies and Laverty in the World Superbike race earlier in the day, um, and was wiped out of the race, which effectively took him out of any kind of championship contention, uh, enabling Rinaldi to finish in sixth position and wrap up the championship. Uh, Razgetioglu was third in the race, but given that he'd come into the race with a 14-point championship deficit, uh, that was nowhere near enough for him to overhaul uh, Rinaldi, who wins the championship. Race win, incidentally, went to Marcus Reiterberger, who, um, of course, started the season in World Superbike, ends it in World uh, Superstar. 1000 and wins the final race of the season. The championship goes to Rinaldi. Um, the inaugural World Supersport 300 championship was decided um, and this is another race that if you haven't seen yet I would encourage you to go out of your way to watch because it was absolutely brilliant. Um, if It's one of those races, Dre, where you know it's a good race when you hear that James Whitten giggle uh, midway through the race, that oh, yeah. <laughs> as he's watching a race. Um, and it, there was plenty of that during the Grand Prix. Uh, where I think oh, at yeah. one point um, Whitten just went, what is going on uh, as he's watching this race? <laughs> and it went right the way down to the final corner. Um, Alfonso Coppola uh -huh. and Mark Garcia going for the championship. Garcia ending up following Coppola over the line. They finished third and fourth. Um, Coppola ahead of Garcia. Um, which with uh, Garcia taking a four-point lead into the final race means that he wins the championship by one point um, to, to take the title. Um, an absolutely thrilling race. And um, I know you haven't watched this race yet, Dre, so I won't, I won't ask you uh, about the nuts and bolts of this race all without saying that it was an absolute thriller. Um, but oh, fact. but, but, um, <laughs> but this, this class, um, over the course of its first year, um, as kind of underwhelming with the greatest respect as it was in its inaugural race at Aragon, it's come on leaps and bounds this season and really established itself as an absolutely thrilling class to watch. Yeah, like the 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 we we had every reason to be questionable about this at the start. I mean, when 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 the when the season first came around, but 
as time has gone on, it's it's proven that you, you know they they have their own Moto Three here with the with the three hundred class. It, it has turned out beautifully. Every race has got tense, you know, tense battles, fights. It's ridiculous racing. Um, this this championship has done exactly what it was set out to do, and. It, 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 I'm glad we had a title fight come right down literally to the wire and a photo finish to, to decide it in the end. And um, it, it's exactly what it deserved. It, uh, to see this, the, the champion has come on leaps and bounds from its first race. Um, and it now might be a, a, a show stealer most weekends now in, in, in a pretty loaded World Superbike um, calendar, so to speak, with all the support classes that they have. Um, SSP 300 has come a long way in just just its first season. So season two is going to be fantastic. You can probably tell already. Just just don't race that Aragon again. Probably not the best yeah, idea. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I want to give both of these two title contenders their due. First of all, the champion uh, Garcia, who um, I know made a fan out of Dre with his uh, dab over the line to win the race at Magnicore uh, a couple of <laughs> weeks ago. Um, but um, but yeah, a brilliant season for him. The most consistent rider all season, as proven by the fact that he won the championship. And as Greg Haynes mentioned, and I've forgotten this, he only entered the first race of the season at Aragon as a one-off uh, entry, a one-race entry for the Hal Courier team. Um, but he impressed them so much that they kept him on for the season. And he's gone and won the title uh, for the yes. Hal Courier team. Because it was uh, Danny Valle uh, and Borja Sanchez, his two regular teammates, who were the two riders that were entered for the season. Um, and Garcia was going to be the one-off, and he's the guy that's gone and took the title in the end. Um, and um, as Greg Haynes brilliantly put it as, uh, as he celebrated his championship, good to see that under, underfunded, underprivileged, uh, underpopulated bike nation of Spain getting another young talent um, <laughs> to, to, cheer, to cheer for um, in the form of the 18-year-old Garcia um, who won the championship. Um, and um, I love the, the the pure joy uh, on his face and his um, his team who uh, joined him on track for the on track celebrations. And um, one of his um, I don't know whether it was his dad or just what, just a team personnel who just shouted Campeón del Mundo at him over and over again um, as, uh, as as Garcia yes, as Garcia just stood on the um, on his bike trying not to fall off it like Garcia stood there thinking Yeah, I know I'm world champion. That's why I've studied to put the t shirt on and pick the flag up. Um, as his uh, as his as his, as his team personnel is shouting world champion in Spanish at him, um, but uh, yeah, a great season for him. And also, I want to give a word to Alfonso Coppola, um, who has made a fan out of me. I've got to say, um, with his performances this season, because he made this championship finale happen. Um, given Absolutely. that he he had to come back from uh, tenth at the end of the first lap, uh, with Garcia leading the race, um, and some stunning overtakes um, from Coppola. Um, he at one point was in position to win the championship because he came, he had to jump across a gap because the top six broke away on the first lap, including Anna, Car- Anna Carrasco, who uh, has to be said, got him, got herself in the leading group purely by jumping the start by a mile. Um, but but let's, 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 well done, let's, let's gloss over that. She got the right to penalty and we won't see it again. Um, but, uh, yep. but yeah, Coppola was the wrong side of that group, put in the fastest lap of the race to jump across the gap and get himself into that leading group. And, um, and yeah, he made it happen with a, uh, the, the, the brilliant racing that we saw and bless him the kid was in tears afterwards um having missed yeah. out on the championship by one point um don't let don't oh. let him don't let anyone tell him that this inaugural class doesn't matter he desperately wanted this first ever super spot 300 championship so um and yeah he was in tears um with his team desperately trying to cheer the kid up um, at the end because he put his heart and soul into it and he missed out by one championship point um to finish as the runner-up 
Um, so shout out to Coppola, as I say, he's made a fan out of me uh, and he has every reason to be very, very proud of his season um, in Supersport 300. Um, one other story, or two other stories actually to come from this World Supersport 300 class, because I haven't told you who won the race. Um, it was the Indonesian Galang Hendra. Um, who beat of who course. beat Scott Daru, the uh, the Dutchman who of course won the first two races of the season. Um, Hendra won the race, and uh, I, I don't know a thing about this this rider. Neither, neither do you, Dre. So we're not going to pretend we know her, um, know Hendra at all. Um, but, no. but World Supersport no. 300 has produced one or two newsworthy uh, events this year. The first ever female winner of a World Championship race, and we shouldn't gloss over this, Dre. Indonesia as a country is bike crazy. Um, oh and, God! I mean. The MotoGP and World Superbikes are desperate to have a race over there. Um, we've seen a number of Yamaha sponsorship functions over in Jakarta, uh, in Indonesia. Oh, yes. So an Indonesian winner of a World Championship race is going to go down a treat over there. They're probably still partying <laughs> as we speak. Um, Indonesia's got a bike, got a World Championship bike winner for the first time in God knows how long. Awesome. Um, congratulations to Indonesia on that one. I'm not going to pretend like I know this ride or anything he, like that. But he was, he as, was a as, wild card uh, last weekend. As he well. was a wild card. Did, did you see? Did you see the images? I, I saw this in Mategi last week. Um, they were, there was an image from one of the squares in a, in a city in Indonesia where they absolutely packed the square out for a viewing party to watch MotoGP. I mean, that's unbelievable. That's how, they, they, that's how big they treat that sport there. That is, it's like the FIFA World Cup every fortnight in Indonesia. Um, because, yeah, like it's, it's royalty for those dudes. Yeah, the sport is, is enormous over there. And MotoGP and World Superbikes are desperate to have a race in Indonesia because it, it is, I mean, it is their, almost their national sport. And they don't even have their own... It is their yeah, national sport. They love bike yeah, races. It's, their, it's basically their national pastime is riding motorcycles. Um, so, so shout out to Galang Hendra who uh, took the, his first victory and the sixth different winner of this World Supersport 300 season. And one other note, um, because we had KTMs in the field. Yep, yeah, we've mentioned them a few times. We're going to mention them again. KTMs were in oh. the field in Supersport 300 for the first time uh, with their RC390 bike. Um, which wasn't eligible to score championship points because it hasn't been homologated yet because not enough of them have been made. Um, but it's ev there's every chance that we're going to see this bike uh, in the Supersport 300 class as a regular entry next year. Um, but they were quickest in free practice with the 15-year-old Italian Omar Bonoli, uh, who is very highly thought of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, any, if ever a rider made myself Andre feel very, very old, um, oh. It's Omar Bonoli, who was born in... I turned, 20, I turned 25 in yeah. August. Like, he was, he was born in, what, 2002? Yeah, I was born in in, uh, in August 1990. Bonoli was born in March 2002. Um, and, and, he, I, yeah, <laughs> and, and he was going fastest in free practice in, uh, in Supersport 300 last weekend on that KTM. I hate myself. Yeah, which, um, and, yeah, he's very, very highly thought of by all accounts. And uh, he, he finished fifth in the race, but because that bike is not eligible for championship points, he... He's essentially a did not finish, um, even though he did finish on the road. He was essentially he was there, but he wasn't there. If you see what I mean, uh, in the race. Um, yeah. It's but it was an interesting bike, as James Whitton was describing, because of course a lot of the bikes are uh, like the uh, the Kawasaki uh, ZX3 and the uh, Yamaha uh, R3 um, that has won the championship. They are twin cylinder 300 cc bikes. Um, the KTM is a 390 cc bike, but it's a single cylinder. Um, it's a it's right. a bang an old banger as uh, as. Um, 
James Whittam uh, termed it, but a, but a terrific motorcycle, which um, when you talk about it in those terms as a single-cylinder bike, shouldn't really be able to compete on the same level as the twin-cylinder 300s, um, but it did. And, and again, testament to Dorna to how they've made this class as competitive and as equal all across the, through the different manufacturers as it is, um, that we had the, yep. uh, the, the Kawasaki, the Yamaha, the Honda 500, and now the KTM 390 um competing and uh yeah as i say really looking forward to seeing how this class gets on next year because it's really established itself as this year's gone on as a real uh treat on the world superbike support bill so uh looking forward to seeing this next season and congratulations to its inaugural champion mark garcia um world super sport up next and uh, this championship was all but decided this weekend um, in favour of Lucas Mahias. Uh, with all due respect to him, we're going to talk about him in a moment because, Dre, we have to talk about um, for all that we saw on Sunday, all of the brilliant racing we saw across all the various classes, very little compares to that final lap between Federico Caracasulo and Jules Cluzel, as Cluzel demonstrated balls of steel in trying to overtake in places where I've never seen anyone attempt to overtake on that final lap. Holy shit. Um, that Even James Whitten was scared. Yeah, Whitten was about to crap yeah. himself. Greg Hayes had, had an orgasm. <laughs> uh, um, I don't blame him. It was two quarters to go, 125 miles an hour around the penultimate corner, and Clazelle tries to stick it down the inside of Caracasulo. I have never, in all my years of watching bike racing, ever seen somebody try that um ridiculous um juice Cazelle is an animal um <laughs> I, I, I don't i don't know what to tell you on that one besides that final lap alone is worth the price of admission for the weekend that was an unbelievable last lap dogfight between not only Clazelle's bravery but a character just just sticking yeah, braving it out around just, the outside just, just braving it out around the outside and refusing to give it up to Clazelle like that. He did, did not yield and was able to block Clazelle off um, around the outside going into the final hairpin, Lorenzo corner. Um, Jesus Christ, what a final lap that was. Unbelievable from Garakazzillo and Clazelle. Yeah, uh, my stones balls. are bigger than yours. <laughs> that final lap yeah for those that think, yeah, those who can picture what Hareth is like the saga that final sector those three fast right handers that follow each other yeah Cluzel thought he'd try overtaking there uh, as you do uh, on the final lap because uh, as the race was panning out the Yamaha just seemed to be quicker down the straights and that Honda that uh, Cluzel was on board um, the places around the circuit where you're supposed to overtake Cluzel was never close enough because the Yamaha was just better down the straights and Cluzel couldn't get close enough to have a go um, so he had to improvise uh, on that final lap and overtake at places where, you know, any kind of collision there and it was going to be a helicopter crash um, between the two. But yeah, incredible skill between the two of them, Caracasulo and Cluzel, um, to um, just go side by side through those corners and Caracasulo taking the win, uh, his second win of the year um, in the World Super Sport class. Uh, and congratulations to him, Cluzel, who finishes second. And uh, um, had he got through to second, um, we would have essentially been guaranteed a championship decider because he would have been 25 points behind Mahias. As it is, we might get one um, because Lucas Mahias finished in fifth position, um, which kind of gives us, Dre, that scenario we were dreading uh, when we spoke about this oh, at no. the core. Because Lucas Mahias is not mathematically the World Superspot champion because he has a 20-point championship lead over Keenan Safoglu. Um, now, Kinnan Tafoglu has his hip broken in three places, so unless he um, produces a feat of sheer superhuman recovery, we're probably not going to see him uh, in Qatar, um, which no. means that we, we're going to end up, end up probably with the kind of bizarre scenario of 
Lucas Mahia is probably being crowned world champion when the entry list comes out for Qatar. Keenan Safoglu not on it. Unless Keenan Safoglu magically turns into Bo Jackson and puts his own hip yeah, back in place, Keenan, I Keenan don't think... Keenan Safoglu enters himself for Qatar just to troll Mahias. Why not, right? I, I thought I'd have a holiday around this time of year. You know, Qatar's nice in, in, in October, apparently. But, um, yeah, uh, it's, 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 it's been awkward the whole way through. And the whole season in terms of a title fight has been awkward with Keenan not taking part and then obviously getting hurt again and completely destroying his hip, the poor guy. Um, and Lucas, who's been the unfortunate victim of all this for, you know, doing the best job he can. He's had a great season he's but the problem is he's looked second fiddle to Keenan all season long and, and it, now the, he look, he, he, people will look at the race in uh in her last weekend and think oh yeah Mahai is he's, he's not he's kind of average isn't he he only finished fifth but he was I don't think he necessarily cares too much about the the, the ifs and buts of how he's won this championship because under the circumstances he was simply, and he said after the race, he was just doing what he had to do out there. He knows the situation with Zafoglu. Why hurt yourself? Because he's injured himself. He hurt himself in a crash at Magni Corey in qualifying. Um, yeah. So why go out there and try and hurt yourself when your main championship rival probably isn't going to race in the finale? And Mahias was out of the attitude of, I'm just going to do what I have to do here. And if I win it here, I win it here. If I win it in Qatar, I win it in Qatar. Exactly. I mean, you've got to do what you've got to do, yeah. man, and at the end of the day. And of course, like you can't... Like I, f- I feel really bad for Lucas. He's been he's been put in an unwinnable situation here with Keenan's injuries, and you know, we all know that Keenan is just absolute quality you know, on a super sport bike. We know he's the king, and he's had a dreadful season in terms of awful luck. And like again, Mahias has been the biggest victim of all this because people are not going to take him seriously as, as a champion because of what's happened with Keenan. And it's a real shame because Lucas, you can only beat who they put in front of you at the end of the day, and. It's not Lucas's fault that Keenan's um, had an awful season, and Lucas had to pick up the pieces, and has you know been the best of the rest this year um, over guys like Sheridan Marias and Julius Cazell and PJ Jacobson, those guys who've had pretty poor seasons by their standards. Um, but Lucas has shone through this year, and you know had this breakout year, and it's gonna he's gonna be champion, and he's he's a more than worthy one. It's just it's just the way he's gonna win it is just kind of a bummer for everybody involved, really. Um, and it's a shame because, as I said. He's he's done nothing but good things on the bike all season long, but again, like, he, like no one wants to win the title this way. No one wants to see a guy win the championship basically on an entry list, and that's that's that just sucks for everybody, really. Yeah, it does. It's a real shame, but uh, yeah, we will give Mahias his due um, when we, of course, review the Qatar round of the championship, um, which is in a couple of weeks' time. Slightly curious final round of the season in, in Qatar in that they're going to be racing on Friday and Saturday rather than Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> Don't ask me why, um, but that's the way the season finale is going to go. Um, so yeah, that, by the time we, we might have to improvise on that week's show because by the time that show goes out, both races in Qatar will have happened. Um, so we'll, so uh. we'll, uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, folks. Um, but as as yeah. we as we talk about the and as I say, once Mahias has won the championship, which we expect him to do, uh, we will give him his full uh, his full due and his full congratulations then. But he hasn't won it yet, unfortunately, um, because this was the result from Hareth Caracasulo, the winner from the pole. Uh, by 65 thousandths of a second from the brave Jules Clizel in second place. Anthony West, shout out for him. The replacement for Safoglu. Yes. Taking a podium in third um, on the Pachetti Kawasaki. Ahead of PJ Jacobson, fourth on the MV. Then came Mahias, fifth. Um, pretty much a lonely fifth, doing what he had to do. Finishing ahead of his only other realistic championship contender in Sheridan Marias, who was sixth. 
Uh, he's now out of the running. Nikki Two, the seventh on the second of the Calio bikes, uh, ahead of Rob Hartog, um, Gino Ria, and Christian Gamarino, um, who finished uh, in tenth place. Championship standings then look like this with a race to go. Final round, of course, is next time out in Qatar. Lucas Mahias leads the championship by 20 points. Um, 165 to Kinsfog, who's 145. Um, so... I'll tell you this just for the sake of argument, even though it's effectively academic. Keenan Safoglu needs to win the final race with a broken hip and hope that Lucas Mahias is out of the top 10. I know, it's unlikely. Good, good, good luck that, with that. That's what needs to happen for Mahias not to win it from here. Um, that's the way it stands. Jules Cluzel, if Safoglu doesn't go to Qatar, Cluzel has a chance, a real chance of finishing his championship runner-up, incredibly. Uh, he's 10 points behind Safoglu and he's jumped ahead of Marias now by three points. Um, they're third and fourth. PJ Jacobson is fifth. He's just three points now ahead of Caracasulo, who is still sixth, but just three points off. Uh, after his second win of the year. Nikki Tuli is seventh. Ant West eighth. Because, of course, he had that podium back in Thailand right at the start of the year. Um, mm -hmm. Sorry, in Australia at the start of the year. Kyle Smith in ninth. And Luke Stapleford on the Triumph is tenth in the points on 47 points. Uh, right, we're going to close the show in a way we've never closed it before. By talking World Superbikes. Um, sorry, Bex, if you're listening. Because I know you love this series to death. Um, but we're talking about it last. Um, and that's kind of because um, Jonathan Ray just produced a despicable double again. Um, and um, yeah, Dre, we watched race one together as we got ready to record episode 35 um, on Saturday. Um, and there was a little bit of good fortune, it has to be said, that was attributed to Jonathan Ray's first win. Just a, just just a tad. Only only Marco Melandri's bike blowing up with a with a once and a half second lead with with four laps to go. And it's like, oh for God's sake, no! <laughs> oh, like we, we we were robbed of another Marco Melandri victory. Um, he's always good for one of those a year, Marco, and he loves her ref. He's 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 led every year he'd he'd been around. He's he's, he's led every year he's been in World Superbikes around her ref at some point and. He was he was set to win race one, according to Greg Haynes. He talked to Marco after the race. He said that he was he was he was comfortable at the front. He was he was capable of running the the lap record pace he was running. We shouldn't forget he pretty put it on pole early that day. Yeah, yeah. Um, like this this was no fluke. Marco was going to win that race on merit and looked very comfortable in doing so. And then Ducati has a mechanical breakdown again. It's like, oh, for God's sake. Yeah, so. it was like the, it was like the racing gods who um, had a pretty dim view of Jonathan Ray in uh, Donington Park earlier this year and indeed in Magni Corps. They've decided to hand him some points back. Um, yeah, and... it's, it's like it's like we won the points record. We kind of screwed you two years ago. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do you a solid on this one. Okay, strike down Melandri's exhaust. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly there what I was going to say because um, we thought it was uh, a forlorn hope after he uh, got taken out of Magni Corps, but Dre... The points record is still within reach. Jonathan Ray <laughs> needs a double in Qatar in the final round to break the all-time points record. And uh, given that this season he's won at Aragon, won at Donington, and now doubled at Jerez, there's every chance of him doing just that in Qatar too. It's on. It's on. Guys, it's and on. I, you know what? I really hope he gets it. You know what? Sod it. He's been so good this season. Just give him the points record too. Just round this, round this shit off. I mean, seriously, the way he's been this year, he's been so utterly ridiculous in every facet of the game. You might as well just give him the perfect season crowned cap and give him the greatest wanted bike season we've ever seen, and just give him the points record on top. Just, 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 just round this off. Just give him the double. In Qatar, because remember, there is no wiggle room. It has to be two wins. There is no other way you can do it. 
Just sod it. Just give him the two wins at this point and give him the points record too, because that'd be that'd be utterly phenomenal. Yeah, and and <laughs> and what would make it even more phenomenal, and why I really think he deserves this, is I'm going back to 2002, which is where the points record was set by Colin Edwards in that epic season with Troy Bayliss. It was a 13-round championship then, just as it is here. Um, so same number of races. Colin Edwards did not have a single DNF that year. Every single finish was in the top four, um, inclu- including yeah. the last season. Johnny Ray's had two DNFs this year. <laughs> we we could have been legitimately talking about Jonathan Ray in a 600-point yes. season. 600 uh, neither DNF was Jonathan Ray's fault they were both due to outside circumstances like like obviously like we got you know like, like we got in Donington where his tyre literally fell off the rim um, and here we, we could be talking about Jonathan Ray in a 600 point season with him finishing every race in the top 600 four point season, ridic- Dre, and there are only a possible 650 points in the whole season Ow! It's not fair. He would have at that point. He would have scored over ninety percent of the points available. Like that's what we're talking about here. Um, like, he is unprecedentedly stupidly good. Yeah, and if, and if, um, if that wasn't obvious already, and it should be to be honest, because he's been brilliant. But once again, and we shouldn't ignore this. Once again, race two, lap one, ninth to first. <laughs> He led over the line, um, like in, in a drag race with Michael Vandermark around the outside. I just, yeah, I, and, I, and I, I a circuit with essentially one overtaking spot. How? I don't know how he keeps doing this. It's not fair. The man's a cheat code. Come on, yeah, just astonishing. Like, and and Jonathan Ray as well. Um, and I, I really liked his interview after race two because. Um, in spite of what some people would have had you believe around accent time earlier this season, Jonathan Ray is such a nice guy um, and such yeah. a humble guy because you got the feeling, Dre, listening to him after race two when he was talking about, you know, look, this is just like the perfect year for me. You got the sense that even he's a little bit amazed and a little bit in awe at just yeah. how good he's been this year. It's. I, I thought last season was ridiculous. This. This. This is a joke. This. Like this. <laughs> the. The bike must be non-regulation. Something must be up here because this has been one of the most special performances I've seen over a biking season that I've ever witnessed. Like, I. I, I can't remember the last. Story. You probably have to go back to maybe Valentino Rossi in in the peak yeah, of his powers in the early two thousands for just sheer unbridled dominance in every asset of the game like if he had an extra two temps in qualifying and he was able to knock off tom sykes's signature ability of super pole then <laughs> goodness only this is this is a season with jonathan ray starting on row three almost half the time <laughs> and, and he's still taking doubles and winning double digit races a year with the second of the race two victory he's now second on the all-time world superbike wins this with 52 overtaking the great troy corsa he's like carl fogarty's all-time record is in sight he's now i think third all-time for podium finishes with 110 podium finishes in world yeah. superbikes now I, I just, I, the, 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 these are mind-boggling numbers mind-boggling yeah. there is no other way of describing it. He, he, it is utterly ridiculous and i don't think even he can believe it and I'm in awe watching this man because he's just on another level. And this is a class that's got 
Tom Sykes and Chaz Davis, who are great riders. Alex Lowe's has had his best World Superbike year to date, and, he, and he's been cast aside. Michael Vandermark's a great talent. Jordi Torres is a great talent. This class had Leon Haslam in it two years ago. He's another great rider, and he, he's laying them all to waste. He's turning them into pillars of salt. I, 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 I am just astonished yeah. at what just, he's doing. Just, I'm not surprised he is too. Just stunning. <laughs> and and World Superbikes always seems to just tease us with the race two grid format. And you kind of think, oh, yeah, maybe this is going to be the one where we get a bit of a shock result. And given that Melandri had had the beating of Ray in race one, and it is Jerez, Ray's not got the best record on there. I was kind of thinking to myself, Race two might be interesting. Um, so I'm at work on Sunday around sort of quarter past 12. I sort of think, you know what I'll do? I'll just have a look on the World Superbike app and check out the live timing and see how the race is going. Oh, for fuck's sake, Jonathan raised four seconds ahead of them. <laughs> so, like, okay, okay then. No, win number, four, win okay, number 14 that's, that's of the year. That's one for the highlight later. Yeah, 14 <laughs> wins out of 24 he's had this year. Um, Jonathan Ray, um, which is insane. Um, yeah, he is he is an absolute sensation on a superbike, and uh, yeah, he's going to go down by the time he's finished. as probably the greatest world superbike rider ever. Um, certainly, this last three years has been the greatest streak of world superbike seasons that we've ever seen. Uh, this level of dominance is incredible, and it has to be said. And um, Tom Sykes deserves his share of the credit, although it's not necessarily been a fifty-fifty split in terms of points. Um, but Kawasaki have wrapped up a third consecutive. Um, manufacturers championship Dre um, by virtue of Ray and Sykes and um, yeah Sykes definitely doesn't deserve the lion's share of the credit because Jonathan Ray's been the guy cleaning up the race wins in the championships over the last three years but it is a bit of a dream team that Kawasaki have assembled and uh, yeah that is three manufacturers championships in a row and I make that four in the last five years that this team has won yeah it's yeah, shout out to Laurie Spaz. He played his part too. Um, but uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. That is, a, that is a stunning team unit where, you know, Sykes may not have the... He may not look quite as good with Jonathan Ray laying waste to everybody as, as his teammate, but he's still a, a, a very important and, and, and valuable part of the team because you need a you need a great rear gunner to win a team's championship. And I know Tom's accidentally played that role because of just how good Jonathan Ray is, but Sykes is a very good rider in his own right. He's still the fastest man over a single lap in Worlds I've ever seen, and you know he he will still have his days where he he can he can run with the very best, and you know he he's going to be in his own fight for second now because he and Chaz Davis are leveled on points going into the final weekend in the fight for second. Um, I don't think Jonathan Ray is going to be quite so kind this no, he year. he the points record. Sod second point in the championship. <laughs> yeah. um, so, Tom, you're on your own on this one, I'm afraid. Yeah. But and Tom um... Sykes does not like Qatar. He's got bad memories from there, of course, in 2014. He's never necessarily been that competitive there either, and he's still riding injured. Um, so I think the odds favor Chaz on this one. Um, but we'll yeah. see because Chaz Davies has doubled uh, or he doubled there last year of course uh, in uh, in the final round where he was basically winning everything in sight at this time of last year Chaz Davies um, so we'll see how that shakes out at the final round um, Tom Sykes who had a steady weekend it has to be said um, given his injury he was third in race one thanks to Melandri's um, late problem and um, yeah similar story for Tom Sykes just did not make that early progress that Ray and Davies made um, at the start of race two uh, and ended Indeed. up finishing down in fifth Um I mean, Chaz Davies, slight dose of fortune for him as well, um, given that, of course, he was knocked off by Eugene Laverty on lap one, but the red flag for Dom Schmitter's heavy accident um, rescued him and gave him a second second bite at it um, in race two. Uh, and he went on to finish second um, in that one. Sorry, he went on to finish third because Melandry got the better of him right before the finish. Um, two fourth places for Alex Lowe's in this race, so another solid weekend for him. 
And a good news weekend for Yamaha and for Michael van der Mark, who had two top six results. Um, because not only is Michael van der Mark fifth and sixth in the two races, but given that there's no news segment, Dre, we'll mention it now. Michael van der Mark's World uh, MotoGP debut is finally going to happen a couple of races late. Um, but this time, it's definitely going to happen because he's in for Jonas Folger at Sepang, and this guy bloody deserves it too. Absolutely. I mean, like, like, yeah, like Yamaha, like you flew him out all there for nothing. Just you, you got to watch Valentino Rossi come back. Huh? You got the best seat in the house, Michael. Congratulations. Um, no, they owed him one. They really didn't. And Alex, and Alex got three races in last year, given circumstances in, in Tech 3 MotoGP. They, they owed Michael Vandermark one. They really did. And I'm glad that Michael's gotten his chance. He's been a, he's been a great asset to to Yamaha as a, as a factory outfit as in terms of World Superbike performances and and for the Suzuka 8 hours as well where he's been a, a, a fantastic asset to have in that unit as well um, so yeah Michael's been owed one again a great talent I'm excited to see how he's on yeah, the tech too. free um, he's, he's he's a great kid a very very likeable guy as well so um, I'm, I'm glad he's he's, 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 he's he's deserved this chance and I'm glad he's going to get one at Sepang and I'm looking forward to seeing how he gets yeah, on Magic Mike uh, BDM is out there next weekend at Sepang and probably for Valencia it has to be said um, given the uh, illness that's uh, struck down Jonas Folger who we wish the very best to um, we're probably going to see him again for the rest of this season while he rests up from that uh, that, is, that illness that he has. So we're probably going to see Van der Mark on that Tech 3 Yamaha at Valencia 2 um, in uh, three weeks from now. Um, so, uh, yeah, best of luck to Michael Van der Mark. This has been a long time coming. He deserves this shot. And, of course, he nearly got it in Aragon. So we wish him all the best in Malaysia this weekend. Um, one more piece of World Superbike news to touch on before we go. And, uh, yeah, in Dre's case, we've saved the very best until last. Um, because uh, a former world champion made his return to the series last weekend. Um, and it has to be said, Dre, Sylvain Gattoli's return was a roaring success. Yeah, Gintas did great in, in the top 10 in both races, looked competitive in both times. I think it was seventh in race one as sixth well. Sixth in the end. Very sixth in the end. Yeah, even better. So, yeah, fantastic um, weekend for Gintas there, for the Pacetti team there. And, and hopefully it could be the start of him maybe riding on a Kawasaki full time because he was very, very impressive. On, on that one. So, yeah, great job from Ginter's. I could not really have asked for more, um, given the circumstances. Yeah, he, uh, he did a solid job. And, yeah, you just need to compare his results to the results of his uh, predecessor in that team, Randy Krumenacker, who was usually milling around the bottom end of the points. Um, of course, Haslam turned up at Donington and did a great job on that bike. And now, yeah, Gintoli essentially was told that, yeah, if, if this goes well, then... <laughs> this seat is yours for next year and it's pretty clear that, that team wants Gintoli next year um, and to be to be fair as well Dre I don't think the series can do a lot worse I think it, it would be good for World Superbikes too to have another former champion back in the fold yeah absolutely I mean it's, it's, it's only a great pull for the series to get a former world champion back in there um, Superbikes need, needs the help with, with star power and Ginter certainly provides that so yeah absolutely a, 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 a nice asset to have there to add to the team yeah uh, we look forward to uh, seeing him as well in Qatar for the final round which is in a couple of weeks um, that brings us to the end then of episode 36 um, an episode quite nicely teamed up with the rider number of the new Moto3 world champion uh, Joanne Mir um, places you can find us before we go Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. On Twitter, we are Motorsport underscore 101. On YouTube, it's .com forward slash Motorsport 101 on there. Our website is motorsport101.net. Um, and if you want to back us financially and earn yourself early access to both of our weekly shows, both this show and Motorsport 101, 
uh, head to patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 uh, episode 109 is available to listen to right now <laughs> episode 110 next week um we don't know yet dre if you're gonna be on this one um because we're, we're most likely we're recording mm. this one on tuesday the 24th of october but news has broken this morning that may well come up next week fernando alonso confirmed for the rolex 24 um next year oh, um, which has just okay. been confirmed literally like five minutes ago um so um that that is official now um but also dre episode 110 you're probably going to have a new four-time F1 world champion to talk about. Uh, you can tell he can't wait. Oh, yes, well, we, there's only so long Sebastian can delay the inevitable. Yeah. He's, he's going to have a new member of the four-time world champion club most likely next week. Lewis Hamilton, um, God of what, 60, I want to say 66-point lead with only yeah, 75 on the table. Top five this weekend and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, then Lewis Hamilton won here last year, so I, I, f- I think we're going to be crowning a four-time world champion. And yeah, I, I salute to Lewis Hamilton. He's been rather brilliant again this year, unfortunately. But uh, I'm going to announce his coronation through gritted teeth on episode 110 of Most One One. Please give us a decent Mexico race, so we don't yeah. have to talk about this too much. Yeah, well, Please. We'll, we'll do one, because the first two have been trash. Um, so, uh, yeah. so, so fingers crossed. That's all to come next week. Um, for now, though, that's all we've got time for uh, on episode 36 of Bike Live, dedicated to number 36, the new Moto3 champion. Congratulations to Joanne Mir from the two of us. Yes, it's goodbye.